Gotta go fast! You're listening to Play for Tempo. Hearthstone in 30 minutes or less with Schwal and Steven Sensei. Oh, this is gonna be fun! And we're back. Wow, what a week. Um, I played some Hearthstone, but we got great news. Mercenaries is almost here. Tuesday, October 12th. We're finally going to get the game that we know nothing about. Well, not really. We know some things. We know it's October 12th. We know that Amazing LP did a, a fantastic video where we had Valera as a playable character, but she isn't in Mercenaries as a playable character. So to get some clarification on this issue, we have someone that's already played the game. Ridiculous hat. How you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you, gentlemen? Not bad. I'm doing okay. So I want to know you've played the game. How is it? Uh, Metroid Dread, it's really great. Oh, you mercenaries. Uh, <laughs> yes. Okay, so I am under embargo for one of those things. That thing is not Metroid Dread. I spent like four hours playing that today. Really, really great. Um, mercenaries, I am under embargo. There are no details to be discussed in the 12th, but we covered this in the most recent Coin Concede. Uh, feel free to check out the title of the episode for the summary. The short answer is I got to play it early. I liked it. I look forward to playing it again. And if you're going to ask me any question about it, I will just answer with, I liked it and I'm looking forward to playing it again. And if you're asking, should you spend money? That is a personal decision that I have no input on because my perspective is not the same as your perspective. But I enjoyed my time with Mercenaries and I intend to play it again on Tuesday and uh, probably more going forward. Will you be spending money? Uh, so far, I so as of today, I have bought one bundle that is new as of uh, this week since Wednesday. Uh, but I think I probably would have done that even without playing the mode. I was looking Wait. forward to it before I got the chance to play it. Wait, new, new bundle. What new bundle? No, new from uh, when people asked me on Wednesday after I posted my tweet saying that I got a chance, I said I hadn't bought anything yet. That was true then. Since then I have bought one that is new information for anyone paying attention. Ah. Uh, okay. but, uh, I this, do not, please do not view this as an endorsement of me saying you should go give Blizzard money now. I did it because I was always looking forward to this somewhat, and I, you know, playing it was fun. I enjoyed it. I don't think bundles will be necessary to enjoy the game, but if you want to have more stuff right away, you should buy it. And if you don't, then you shouldn't worry about it. So your, your playtime was enough to justify to you that for you personally, it was worth a small amount of investment. I don't want to belabor the idea that there was a link between me playing it and me buying stuff. I was already pretty close to buying a bundle. I enjoyed my time with the game, but early access wasn't what made me spend the money. It was the idea of playing Mercs that made me spend the money because I think there's enough information out there to make an informed decision if you're going to like this thing or not. Um, and it just speeds up the time of the initial initial experience a little bit, and I am not a patient person. So, but one bundle. That's... Uh, Deck Tech has confirmed on his Twitter there will be more bundles, including at least uh, some on launch day. So for anyone that is concerned that if you don't buy now, you'll be missing out, that is not the case. Okay, that's good. So wh which one did you buy? Wh which character did you go in? Ooh, nice. Yes. He's the coolest. Huh? Oh, my God. Because, you know, Frostmourne is like, <laughs> it's cool. It's cold. Yes. He had an ice cream stand. He did. The frozen cone. Yes. So now that we're going back in time, talking about things like the frozen cone, which was that it's it's spooky season. We're in October. Spooky season is here. 
spookiest thing I've seen on the internet. Apparently there is a Thanksgiving dinner candy corn bag in the United States now that has things like roast turkey and gravy and stuffing. And that just sounds vile and wrong. Uh, every Can't be worse for regular candy corn. Hey, you take that back. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> I okay, have set, settle the is candy, of candy corn, corn reasonable or is not? <laughs> candy corn is how they commercially market the tops that they cut off of traffic cones. Okay. <laughs> so the answer I give is not what I'm proud of. I will never buy candy corn, but if it is in front of me, it is going to be consumed. <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's fair. It's there was always candy corn in my house growing up because my mother has a very strange sweet tooth. I know exactly where I get it from. The the thing that she evolved into uh, eating the most right before I moved out of the house, she would buy golden grams and put them in the Tupperware container and just eat them by the handful. Um, but like Our candy corn in, in Halloween season, she it it was just there was it was just in the house and so. Yeah, I, I'm never go to the store and be like, I'm really feeling some candy corn. I want to spend money on this because it's a product that deserves money. I don't think it is. But if it's in front of me, it's going in my face. So so if it's delivered to you, you're like right on all day, but you're you're not. OK, what? Fair. What? Yeah. What was that sweet you mentioned? I Golden I, Grams, the cereal, the breakfast cereal. It was I like honey graham cracker that things. it exists. It's. It's it's there. What was the tagline for Golden Grams? There was there was a tagline and it was catchy. I remember. Um, well, no, I don't remember. I remember that it exists. I obviously don't remember what it is because I would just say it. Uh, but yeah, it's the the. Let's see. OK, I'm looking up the overview and apparently it was introduced in 1976 and there was a jingle. To the to the tune of Odem Golden Slippers, which I don't know what that is. Okay, this has gone <laughs> way off the rails. Yeah, this has. So so back to spooky season. So we thought, you know, we everyone's been waiting for news. People are either happy or unhappy with the meta right now. And you know, again, personal things. Do what you want with your time. Hopefully, you're having fun. But we thought since it was spooky season, it would be a good time to invite Hat back on the show and we could go back in time and talk about a set from the past and nothing is spookier than Witchwood. Are we doing the whispers? That is, you are making a reference that will be, I I get actually a pretty large portion of Play for Tempo listeners will probably get it, but you were referring to like 150 episodes ago of Coin Concede (laughs) for a meme that appeared on like three episodes. It was more than three episodes than that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i guess you, so i'm trying to repress you know, appa kept that one alive and i i love him for that but yeah so the witchwood uh released april 12 2018 so this was more than three years ago gross <sighs> that was... so we're gonna review this set we're gonna talk about this set we're gonna see what it is in hindsight if it was good bad or indifferent we'll start with the basics each class got two legendary minion cards, with the exception of Shaman, which got a legendary minion and one hero card. The first question, will do you think we're going to see hero cards again anytime soon? They have heavily hinted that the next set will have hero cards for the mercenaries. Well, 
The peanut gallery that wants a cycle of hero cards has heavily hinted that they believe there will be one. I don't know if Blizzard has hinted all that strongly that there will be a full cycle. I'm expecting two. I'm expecting like one horde, one alliance. Let's be clear. I'm not saying there are going to be ten. I'm saying there will probably be some. (laughs) Yeah. And I I will go on record saying that's a mistake. I mean, I'm, you can make hero cards that aren't busted. You just, if you make a cycle of them and you make them splashy because they need to be good, then that's where you run into problems. Kind of like quests. No, no, no. <laughs> kind of like Galacrons. Kind of like Galacrons. That is the example okay. I would use. Okay. So, Hat, why don't you talk to us about the mechanics that Witchwood brought with us? Okay. So... There, there are some really notable mechanics here, um, though there's one of them that it, the most important one I refuse to give credit to Witchwood for. We'll get to that in a second. But the one that is perhaps uh, most infamous is Odd and Even, the start of game mechanic in Odd and Even. There were two legendaries, neutral legendaries, Baku and Gen, by far the best crafts from the set, by far the only legendaries you wanted to open from the set, and they were used quite frequently. They were great value. Uh, Baku. Is a 9-7-8, but you don't really care about that being a 9-7-8, because if you draw this card, it's thick patches. No, this <laughs> is start of game. If your deck has only odd-cost cards, upgrade your hero power. Now, for those of you that weren't around for Jessicar Trueheart, uh, upgrade your hero power. Each class had a hero power that was a better version of the original one. So, like, if you look at uh, Druid... Instead of gain one armor, gain one attack, it was gain two armor, gain two attack, right? And there were not a lot of odd druids, but odd paladin, which was by far the most visible deck. Uh, instead of making a single one, when it made two one ones, which was a lot of dudes very quickly. Uh, odd rogue, it was a two two dagger instead of a one two dagger, and uh, there were there were a bunch of decks that took advantage of this. Uh, and then the even version, gain Greymane, If your deck is only even cost cards, your starting hero power costs one. So you end up with decks like even Paladin, which was very common, even Shaman. They just used the hero power basically every turn. And in addition to that, there were cards that cared if your deck met these odd and even restrictions. They were key support cards for the build arounds. So you had cards like Black Cat, which if your deck had only odd cost cards, draw a card. It was a 3-mana 3-3 beast for Mage, and it had spell damage plus 1 as well. So a 3-3 spell damage plus 1 draw a card, obviously the nuts. Uh, and then the even marquee card I talk about here, Merc Spark Eel. If your deck has only even cost cards, it deals two damage. It's a two minute two three for Shaman. So really, really powerful. And SI seven Asian doesn't really have conditionality, and it's a two minute two three instead of a three minute three three. Uh, there were a couple other cards that cost five that were awful. Um, I think yep. there was another even synergy card somewhere, no, there but there really it was just Eel. Yeah, there were not a lot of these synergy cards. It's five total, and also our show notes have ice block because the word even is inside the word prevent, and both Schwal and I thought it was funny. Yep. Yeah. That was my first question looking at the notes going, why is ice block here? But it, like Gan and Baku, needed to go to wild, so that's fine. That's where it lives now. Um, Baku is still played in wild. Gan is still played in wild. Yeah. They're there. But they uh, were they were problematic. Oh yeah, I are we talking about these now or later? Are we doing this now or later? <laughs> doing I think we're doing this now. 
Earlier today, I called Baku the Moon Eater uh, in terms of net fun, the single worst design in Hearthstone history. Ooh, spicy. Hmm. Probably true because it it's definitely got the Lifetime Achievement Award there. In yeah. terms of like most fun, you could probably make an argument for something more recent that flamed out quickly like Stealer of Souls or uh, Tortolan Pilgrim. I think you can yeah. make arguments in terms of like concentrated misery, but in terms of the lifetime achievement awards, Baku and Ganon, and Baku in particular, because uh, yeah. of Odd Warrior and Odd Paladin, among others, it's it's this mechanic. It's kind of hard to explain without the context of the whole year, but there are so many things wrong with these cards. Well, why don't you go into all the things that that were really problems with just the design of these cards in particular? Okay. Uh- to start off with, the simplest one is that these rewarded classes that had good hero powers. And that inherently unbalanced the year. Uh, I hated these designs from the moment I saw them because of that, because I think the hero powers are boring, and when we lean into them, we get boring stuff, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, the second thing is that these reward repetitive behavior. These say, do the same thing every turn or every other turn, uh, and your games just played out similarly the whole time. Like I, I was describing uh, even Paladin the uh, pretty recently as you know how in some decks you play you try to do the same thing every game. Uh, in this one, you try to do the same thing every turn. <laughs> it's so boring, and it was it just like it it removed so much variance. It, it is hard to understate. <laughs> I, I think that's fair. It definitely compressed what was being played in the meta, that a, everything went to these really super strong archetypes. And we have to remember that the Witchwood came out, it was the first set of the year, yeah. and it was following Ungoro, Knights of the Frozen Throne, and what is probably arguably the strongest set ever printed in kobolds and catacombs. So we already had a huge spike in power. And then we said, okay, you have this huge spike in power and here's this way to then condense that even further. Yeah. So this, so there is a weird thing that happened in particular because of the combination of Gan Baku and um, uh, Prince Kalisath is that there was a full year where only even decks played a two-drop that was not um, Prince Kaliseth. Ugh. The memory of standard. just... Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's something to be said about when you hear the phrase deck-building challenge, they've gotten better at this, but not a ton better. But back in the day, deck-building challenge meant reduce the number of cards that your deck can play by half, get this incredibly powerful payoff in the process, limit the card pool, and create polarizing gameplay because the payoff is usually early in the game. Um, That was exemplified more than this year of standard, the year of the Raven, than any other time. And year of the Raven was a troubled year for Hearthstone. In my opinion, the lowest point in Hearthstone's history. Because uh, outside of Gen and Baku, Ben Brode, the the very visible, very loud, very uh, uh, you know loquacious game director, left the company, left Blizzard in April of that year, merely weeks after Witchwood had been released. 
Uh, and the the game that whole year felt rudderless. There wasn't a lot of clear direction. There were a bunch of unforced errors. Uh, ask us in a future episode about the In the Works article. We have a whole lot of emotion <laughs> still left over from that. Uh, and that was later this year. And the biggest sin that Ganon Baku committed was being in Year of the Raven. Because if you put these in a more powerful standard year, they'd still be absolutely relevant, but there would be other things to do. Gen and Baku were meta-defining in the same decks for the entire year because the sets that were after Witchwood were similarly low power. There was nothing better to do for a whole year than hit your button every turn. It was horrendous, and there was no easy way to fix it and no steady hand on the wheel. And there wouldn't be a new game director until January the following year, and we didn't even learn his name until later, until around when Rise of Shadows came out, Ben Lee. We just started around then in the late Rastakhan era. Uh, so for that whole year, there was this, Schwal, you described it pretty well, kind of like this sick dog feeling around the game. Yeah, it was it was really bad. The, uh, the, the, it, in, um, in Rumble in particular, they resorted to basically nerfing a bunch of classic and year of the uh, mammoth cards that were very good that were that had seen continuous play to try to shake up the meta and the metas just kept getting worse and it was it was so bad (laughs) so that is going to beg the question that i have for you how would we feel if genin baku were introduced to the game now like in the next mini expansion not i'm not advocating bringing them back but had we never seen them had they never existed, but now in this new upcoming mini set we know nothing about, they go, hey, we've got this odd and even thing. Do you think we'd have the same strong reaction a year or two down the line? I would quit standard yes. inside of two months. It, it, it would. I would probably stick it out longer, but that's based on who I am as a person versus who Schwalis as a person, not based on the design of the cards or the context of standard. Uh, there is nothing good about these. It's... The idea, the concept of, hey, if you cut some cards, something else gets better. But anything that results in gameplay dependent on hero powering from the very beginning of the game is, it's not healthy. I think Hearthstone would be a better game if these had never been printed and if the idea of them never materialized. Because you're saying the, the most important part of any Hearthstone game is the early game development because that sets the tone for the rest of the game. And when you know what turn one and three are going to be, against every even deck for a year that like that just eliminates any variety in Rastakhan's rumble. I was very close to quitting the game. I played a lot of MTG arena, a lot of Dota underlords. Uh, there is nothing about a start of game effect that eliminates half of the interesting cards that you could possibly play and also eliminates most decisions you could make on most turns because the best thing to do is just press the button that starts next to your face, even in a powerful environment. It's not healthy. And like you said at the very top of the show, Stephen, these are being played in wild now. Now. Yep. How many sets are in wild? Uh, uh, a lot. 25, 30? <laughs> seven like years that. worth. Yeah. There is no standard that could ever withstand the impact of these cards. Oh, yeah. There's another sin I forgot to mention. These are unnerfable. Yes. So... When we talk about fundamentally flawed designs, 
the way that they had to nerf Genin Baku is that after a year in standard, they looked at him and they said, well, this sucks. We can't keep this around. Let's make it Wild's problem. Rotate him out early, baby. <laughs> yep. Hall yep. of Fame. It's which we were actually ever done shocked by. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, People were Because we didn't know what to do either. Surprise. Yeah. We had all these horrible, inelegant nerfs of like, this upgrades after the first three turns of the game or or yeah. like crap like that. It was no, there was no there, elegant way to nerf them. There were totally elegant ways. It was take Gen Greymain, who required you to have even cost cards in your deck and make him seven mana. And take Baku <laughs> that wanted to be on cost X and make Baku either eight or ten. Problem solved. <laughs> But the okay. best yeah, thing to do with funny. these cards is make them literally not work. I agree with you. I agree. Yeah. yeah. But that's not the philosophy and design. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think looking back at it, though, I was most impressed that it was something from the outset that it was new. It was interesting. It was different. It was like I remember there were thoughts initially as a wild player going, hey, wait a minute. So Otter even can we make odd or in this are actually even Reno decks. Can we make, can we make a Reno Highlander even deck? The answer is yes. Yeah. People um, are playing it in wild right now. It's, it's even uh warlock. Yeah. Yep. And, and some of these cards have gotten like, some of these decks have gotten way better over time. Like odd quest hunter was unplayable for a long time, but now with the support of the new quest, uh, you can, you can dominate with odd hunter. They, I played they against scale. four of them today. <laughs> yep. They scale with power over time in a way that you wouldn't expect because the cards themselves don't matter. It's just whenever your hero power works with any strategy, it's just going to get better. And hero power is interesting design space. So wild is just going to have to deal with this forever. Are you just going to be a part of wild? Yeah. yeah. I, Which, I think they're, they're not, they're not nearly as bad in wild. I, I no. think largely because the games are faster. Like, so doing the every the same thing every turn doesn't matter as much if the game is only six turns long. Yeah. And the fact that everything is so much more powerful in wild, there's you know yeah. there are there are at least yeah. twenty sets of cards available to wild that are not available in standard. So yeah. 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 We're finally at the point where like playing Generbaku is an interesting decision that can have impact on the games in a meaningful way, but not define them. All it took was five additional years of Hearthstone sets total, and now they're interesting cards. But for a standard environment, they were never they were never the right fit. It was never a good idea to put these in standard. Uh, the, so the one benefit that I can think of here, the one thing they have going for them, is that that year in standard was the most affordable ever, because you needed to craft two legendaries, period, and then your deck was good for the whole year. And you could play like any deck that had Otter even, as long as you had these. And none of the other legendaries in the set were good. There was one that was Disagree. fine for like two sets, but most of them were bad. Yes, I, no. I I disagree. Some of the legendaries in this set are good, and we will have that argument later. But let's talk about the next mechanic, which was echo cards with echo, 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 echo can be played multiple, multiple, multiple times, times, times on the same turn. Um, I see what you did there. I get it. It was belabored. So things like Ghostlight Angler, this was a two mana two two Murloc with Echo. You would play it. 
And if you had four mana, you could play it again. It would give you like a ghost copy in your hand. And then you could play it again if you had six mana and play three two twos for six mana, but it only cost you one card. Um, This was an interesting mechanic. There's a few standouts in the set for me with this being Sound the Bells, which was a two mana paladin spell with Echo, give a minion plus one, plus two. I think that was nerfed. I think it was plus two, plus two originally. No, it, that, it's always been plus one, plus two. Was it? Okay. Yeah. Um. So that was something that if you had a minion on board and it was late game, you could buff something like on turn 10 plus five, plus 10 to a minion. I mean, that's pretty yeah, it's good. All, it's all a little bit of play. Uh, Warpath in Warrior, the two mana echo spell, deal one damage to all minions. Uh, that was great for clears and things. This is the best one. Uh, the oh, best yeah, one by a large margin until they print a snip snap. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Phantom Militia was uh, echo with taunt, two mana, or three mana, two, four. Saw a little um, bit of play in some things, and now I can't remember what. Uh, taunt Warrior. Quest Taunt Warrior. I write that. Yeah. And there, there was a Warlock Legendary, uh, Glinda Crowskin, six mana, three, seven. Minions in your hand have Echo. It used to, what was it originally? Because they, they did do something, or was it that they no, no. just um, gave her it, a refund when they changed the way Echo was working? I believe her text is the same as it was originally, but they changed the way Echo yep. worked so that you can know so that uh, Echo copies cost a minimum of one. Uh, That's so right. that you can't go infinite. Yes, because there was a way with Snip Snap once that was printed during Rise of Mechs that you could go infinite with that. And it was they acted quickly for the time on that nerf, but. Was, Did they? That was still for, like for, several for the for the time. It was a year. Was it was it like a whole a year? year? Wow. It was a you long can tell time. Why I didn't I, pay I, attention I, to Wild during this period? <laughs> it's most Wild players didn't either. Yeah. Yeah. Um. It was December twenty nineteen was the nerf, and I believe the printing of Snip Snap. Uh, was in when did no. they make this? Uh, June. So yes, uh, seven, six months, six months. Yeah, not a full year. Six months. It felt like a year. <laughs> it's a long time. Um. So there's there's the question then: Was Echo successful, and would we want to see it return? Not really, but I wouldn't mind it. It it has the same repetitive problem. The it's just much lower power. They've done so. Echo's been a mechanic. They've done one-offs here yeah. and there without using the word echo, and those are usually the best echo cards. Witch's Brew and Unstable Evolution are both really fun cards. Where like the extra mana really makes a difference in the scaling, but you can play it for just the base version. It's okay. Uh, yeah, I think you can find ways to make echo interesting. But all of these were costed to be played in multiple numbers. I will say my favorite echo card from this set that never end up seeing a lot of play was Squashling. And there yeah. were a couple times you just play like two of those in a turn or three of those in a turn. Like it was a big deal. And I, if I recall, most of these were nuts in arena. And I remember Squashling being insane in arena. Uh, 
the sprite wasn't very good. Uh, Pickpocket wasn't great. Oh, yeah, the 3-3 three, three common. Yeah, yeah, but most of the rest were pretty good, yeah. The yep. uh, Curse of Weakness was actually insane. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's the one that uh, gives all your opponent's minions minus two attack until your next turn. So yeah. it's your turn and their turn, so you can attack them and they cannot attack you back with whatever. Really, really strong. Um, though, of course, the most Witchwood thing ever is that the best Echo card ever printed wasn't in this set. Yep. <laughs> snip Snap. And that's, yeah, Snip Snap, which was printed as a bizarre buff and also here's a new card event at the beginning of the following year because ben lee had gotten started and he was not interested in things staying the same nope yeah right rise of mechs was unique it had snip snap in we, it yeah and also other things Nobody remembers the yeah. other things. <laughs> uh, I remember Luna's Pocket Galaxy. I remember that pretty clearly. Oh, right. That was that event. Yeah, no, I remember yeah. that. That, yeah. There were some good things. Go like smooth. Thunderhead to 3-6 was dope. Um, really yeah, liked yeah, that. that true. And uh, there, like, there were a couple other cards that ended up seeing play Christology to 1. Ended up, like, it's still relevant today. Um, eh. Rise of the Mechs was this weird event where we had never seen mass buffs in Hearthstone before and they recognized that all the sets from Year of the Raven suck so they said we'll call it Rise of the Mechs we'll buff 18 cards from Boomsday which was the next set immediately after which would um, we'll just buff them and see what happens uh, and they missed really big on one card they missed moderately on a second card extra arms yep. and then Snip Snap was cool and interesting but in Wild it kind of broke with Echo and Glinda and with uh, and with like Mech Warper and other reducers because you could play Mech Warper, Mech Warper, Mech Warper, and then Snip Snap, and then kill your opponent if you had APM that was good enough from any mech that was on the board. Uh, and that, obviously, if that sounds really unhealthy, it was, and it broke wild for six months till they banned it. Yeah. Also, why did they buff the best set from Beer of the Raven? I, I don't think that there were enough things where numbers would have been within a reasonable range to fix in either Witchwood or Rastacons. Like, yeah, you would have to make point. them so silly. Yeah, yeah, true. Also, I do think that Rastacons Hunter set is quite strong. Yeah, that is the one thing that set has going for it. I think it's more when than the Witchwood ones to take Odd and Even out of the question. <laughs> so Hat and I occasionally debate which is the worst set of all time. I think it's Rumble. He thinks it's Witchwood. So... <laughs> It's, and and we will get into that, I'm sure, within the next 30, 40 minutes. Yep. Yeah. And then there was one more mechanic. Well, two more mechanics, but one, one more mechanic that is probably the most impactful mechanic that was brought about because of Witchwood, and that was Rush. We saw an end of charge minions. We saw rush minions with rush can attack the same turn they're played but they're not allowed to attack heroes wasn't as strong as charge made up for it in other areas mostly in stats and we got a ton of rush stuff and i think this is actually one of the best things that this set contributed to hearthstone that the removal of of charge and the creation of rush is one of the best things that's happened to stop the ridiculous Leroy power overwhelming go to the face 
in standard. Yeah, nobody dies from hand anymore. Well, from hand from a minion that's played on board, but yeah, I still think I it's... Steven. I listened to your episode I, last week. Huh? I, I, I know, and I appreciate that. <laughs> no, it's just, I, I do think that Rush is one of those things that when it first came out, everyone was like, this is the end of charge question mark. And yes, it actually was. And I think that that actually was a good thing for the game overall. They have printed about five cards with charge since then. And as you can tell by that number, not many. And they have mostly been pretty high mana uh, cost. So, yeah. The most impactful one for sure was Kane during the year of Demon Hunter. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and he's still in standard, so you can tell he was definitely an accomplice and not the culprit, right? Yep. Not the perpetrator. But whenever evil was happening in Demon Hunter, he was along for the ride. Uh, but yeah, they just haven't printed all that many. Though, my my theory, my hypothesis, my my position is that Rush is something they wanted to do to Hearthstone and they had to pick a major set to do it, so Witchwood happened to be there. But Witchwood is not the Rush set. Rush is a is a core change to how they designed Hearthstone, and this was just when they got around to it. I don't want to give Witchwood credit for printing Rush. Because it just it changed how Hearthstone happened forever going forward, and it was never intended to be a set mechanic. It was intended to be a new way of designing cards that started here. True. But also, like, these are the good Witchwood cards. <laughs> I Ratcatcher, you're a Ratcatcher fan. I admit to thinking that might be okay in Zoo. It was not okay in Zoo. Uh, uh, we all tried it, and then we all realized it was an epic, and that was a shame. Like there are a few good Witchwood cards here. Yeah, yes, these might be the high watermark outside of Odd and Even, but that's a commentary in the set more than anything else. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's Rush the strong mechanic. Like I mean. It- Vicious scale high, it saw a bunch of play. Drew to the side, it saw play in um, uh, the uh, Spiteful Druid, which I got legend with, uh, like immediately after the set came out. Uh, the Mo- uh, Militia Commander saw play in Warrior. Until right. the next set when yeah, they printed oh yeah, a better was And then the next set when they printed a better This was the year where like... So every set this year, they printed a warrior four mana rush minion, and every new one was slightly better than the last one. And then they made a mistake in the third set, and they made a cost three instead of four, and then they nerfed it to four, and then it was still the best one. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the, 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 the Darius Crowley also saw a decent amount of play. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, the, Rush is a good mechanic and also the good cards in this set, and that's not a coincidence. (laughs) Yeah. And it should be noted, Rush is a very important mechanic, but this was also the beginning of about a year and a half to two years where they didn't get the mana on Rush right at all. Like, it took them about a year to get that even close to dialed in, and also the next set, they printed Dr. Boom Mad Genius, which gave everything Rush... And you can't you can't do that. Don't do that. That's a bad idea. Um, So there was definitely a point in the game where it felt like Rush was a major mistake. And it is important to note that this is really the mechanic that pushed Hearthstone into the modern era. There were changes in card design philosophy. There were changes in balance philosophy. But 
no rush to yes rush is when all the cards from classic started to feel really outdated and this was the era where savannah high main you could no longer even look at it with a straight face and put it in a deck yeah because every deck just got more dense with removal spells effectively because that's what rush was and it's just a part of the game where the goal here is they don't want you to have those games where your opponent goes flame imp on one and you know the next five turns you're going to be playing a minion they're going to hit you in the face you're going to value trade the following turn there and they're always going to be ahead of you and kill you and there's nothing you can do they wanted that to stop and so it's a fundamental change to how the game works where rush means that every deck just gets a little bit more removal a little bit more to do when they're behind on board yeah it it has a weird thing so i will say it does have a weird Rush is, like, so absurdly good in Arena, it is hard to underestimate. Especially when they print it at stats that are good enough to see play in Standard. That, so, like, you know, if you see three cards, does one of them have Rush and have, like, any attack at all? Yes, pick it. Like, that just happens now. (laughs) Yep. Rush became a good answer for board-based strategies and made controlling the board both easier and more difficult at the same time. It made it easier to come back and harder to keep it. (laughs) Yep. Yep. And um, it makes Hearthstone more dynamic and a more interesting game. The turns have more stuff that matters now. And the games have more turns that matter. It makes the number of game actions that both players take that that do something relevant significant. But it does also create this feeling where if something doesn't give you a resource immediately the turn you play it, then it's not worth doing. And a lot of the fun strategies in Hearthstone historically, and, and even now, are when there's a sense of risk and investment of you play something, you hope it lives. If it does, then you then you get something. And if it dies, then it's bad for you. That makes the game states more dynamic. Whereas Rush at this era when there were problems with the costing of it and problems with odd and even games were really starting to feel samey where it was like hero power and then kill stuff with my rush minion and that was just back and forth in every deck and standard for a year along with other powerful neutrals like uh i don't know uh zilliax zilliax yeah came up the next set yeah yeah there was just i think so much that was so consistent and reliable and so clearly the best thing to do that it just made the year and standard really hard to stay engaged with oh yeah it's like it's a shame because like my favorite deck of all time is you know was during this time period and that but like i played it for you know a month and a half two months i was like oh nothing has changed at all like i can keep playing this deck against the same decks and i'll keep winning the same matchups and losing the same matchups it's like eh. yeah i'm good yeah <laughs> there's another there were fun games to be had but like it's just the the staleness of this year crept up quickly and didn't go away yeah now one thing that I just noticed, because I, w- I was looking through some cards while you were talking about that, um, there's one other thing that we didn't have in the notes that I noticed about this set. This is the first time we also saw the tribe of all as a minion type within oh, yeah. Nightmare Amalgam. Oh, yeah. That's all and uh, Hench Clan Hag? 
Uh, was that this set? Makes little one one amalgam tokens. Oh yeah, I think. It oh was. yeah, for the tokens. How so could you first... forget about Hench Clan Hag? <laughs> because nobody played it, even in arena. <laughs> nope. So yeah, that, this was the first time we started to see the combination of uh, minion tribe and tribal synergy, which became important later in other sets once we had other mechanics like magnetic. Yep. We had one more thing in this though. We had the Worgen shape-shifting cards. This they did this for flavor and I honestly don't think this was very successful. Basically, it was their lore is like when Galneus was hit with the curse of the Worgen, many of the kingdom's human inhabitants were transformed into monstrous beasts, but have since gained the ability to switch between the two forms. And as the card was in your hand each turn, it would basically flip its health and attack and its artwork. And none of them saw play. If you yeah. could pick Royal Guard in Arena, yeah, that was the 8-mana 3-8 Divine Shield Rush that would flip to an 8-3 in your hand. And that was okay in Arena sometimes. And you basically only ever played it when it had 8 attack. Well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that... 8-mana for a 3-attack rush? That's awful. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny because like the magic set that just came out and is the third, you know... Uh, horror themed block they're they've done of the same thing that has a werewolf mechanic that involves flipping but it flips the literal card over and it has different text and stats on the back it's way more interesting <laughs> seems like a printing nightmare too oh yes but you know people play with sleeves yeah also true <laughs> um now this brings up something Dean had one of his uh, AMAs in the last 24 hours. And one of the things in the most recent one, early in expansion development, cards are designed, quote unquote, fantasy first. So they find some character spells, etc., that would fit into the expansion thematically and then come up with their effects afterwards. Then it shifts over and they do a mechanics first design where they come up with effects that would synergize nicely with whatever they've had for designs for character and artwork that fits those effects. So both approaches being used is about 50-50, and I think it's pretty obvious if we apply that logic that all the Worgen shape-shifting cards were clearly fantasy first. Yep. They just didn't come up with an interesting or playable mechanic with them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it functionally ended up being... The card that I want to play is in my hand, but not usable half the time. Yep. And even then, the uh, I don't think that even any of these were costed that on the good half was actually good. Mm. There was one that if you got it as like a 4-2 rush lifesteal, it was fine, but that wasn't reliable enough. Yeah. Yeah, pumpkin pest. And that was the best case for all of these cards. Yeah. Yeah, Pumpkin Peasant, uh, three mana, two, four, lifesteal with the flippy thing. So if you got it as the four, two, it was fine, but that was not reliable. Even in Arena, it wasn't great because it wasn't reliable. <laughs> yeah. And uh, 
I will also note, if we're talking about Dean AMAs, a question that he answered in April of this year that was asked by uh, one dog, oh, huh. that dog, um, about what are some of Ixar's biggest failures and biggest successes. And as far as failures, uh, he made a tweet that was pretty candid, and I respect him for it. As for expansions, my first sets as lead were Kobolds, Witchwood, Boomsday, and Rastakhan's. You can pretty clearly see some of that failure. I was new, wanted to push the boundaries of power and synergy, saw the results, and pulled back way too hard the following year. Didn't really understand overall expansion power well enough until Rise of Shadows. And I think we've done a lot better job as a team managing power since. Yep. <laughs> Wow. So yeah, you, you wanted to push the boundaries and your first set was Cobalt's. Oh my. Yeah. That... Honestly, if they had printed three more Cobalt's equivalent the following year, it would have still been better than what we got. Oh yes, absolutely. By, by an enormous, it wouldn't be close. And even if people left or said they were leaving and then went to post on Reddit and then came back the next week, um, the issue with the, the low power level we've seen in multiple games multiple times, and in particular in this one, people just became so indifferent towards Hearthstone. That's what really happened this year, is that there was a lot of indifference and, and not a lot of excitement. I mean, like you said, well, you just kept the same deck built for a couple months, and you felt like playing, you logged in playing it, but then after that kind of wore out its welcome, then you just did something else. Yeah, there weren't new decks. Like, the whole year, there just weren't new decks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I I think about some podcasts that are no longer in existence that were around at this time with hosts quitting the game during this period of time. That by the time Saviors came around, there wasn't enough. It felt so bad that they quit and they've never come back. And that, that's a shame because it did get better. Whether or not we can lay the blame for this at the feet of any particular developers or directors is debatable, but I think that we can agree that we're in a much better place now than we were then. Oh, definitely. I feel extremely comfortable blaming this on the director that was there from May through November. There wasn't one. That was the problem. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't the presence of direction, it was the lack of it, and so they were trying to do what they could, but you need someone steering the ship, and I think we have a pretty clear idea of where Ben Lee wanted to take the game. I don't think it could really be a lot clearer, and it's different than what we had before, but we know what we're getting, and we know where we're headed, and there has been a lot of engagement to try and make the game better for people, Uh, and this era was where it really felt adrift for the first time that I can remember. And uh yeah, it didn't take long for that to self-correct, but it was a uh, it was a tough year to be a Hearthstone fan. Yeah. And I I think we were a little apprehensive when we did find out that Ben Lee was the new director knowing that he had come from other projects that were not as critically acclaimed or as successful um in the same kind of space, but ultimately I I think he's done an amazing job and I'm, I'm happy that he's currently leading the ship and he has a direction and a vision and seems to be executing that well so far. I hope it continues. I remember getting into an argument with someone in one of the discourse and I think it might've been 
Andrew is living, where like there was an interview that came out where like that was more or less like the we're getting along fine without a game director. It was halfway through Boomsday, a little you know, a little more than halfway through Boomsday, I think. And I I just read it and I was or no no it was around it was just after Rosticon's previews had started, and I I just read it and was like, yeah I could tell. <laughs> I was like, you desperately need a game director. I'm sorry, <laughs> like it's not working. <laughs> and and yeah, oh, oof. yeah. I think it was an interview with Ben Thompson who was doing everything he could to. Uh, I think it was to Thompson and Whale. hold it together. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of really tenured people that were doing their best to hold it together and, and keep the team aligned. It was uh, challenging. And yeah, Ben Lee came from Gwent, which was the uh, the Witcher card game. And that didn't end up doing so well. But I think with Cyberpunk 2077, The Rearview Mirror, honestly, I think we've learned that maybe CDPR didn't set up their employees for success all that well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there, there's definitely problems with... with- in that development space just like there are in blizzard's development spaces and other places as well but i I think we're lucky with the talent that we have now definitely yep and even though some uh, of the talent we had back then is now gone that i i wish was still around and i'm looking forward to seeing and hearing about their new projects i think we're in a better place oh yeah I mean, if you want the best example as to as to how well things are going now, is you look at the year that we're talking about currently. And uh, I don't know why don't we look at what were the medicine classes like? You were both playing back then. Was, like Stephen, were you mostly doing arena or wild? I forget what you were doing back um, then. I would. I was playing kind of a combination of wild and standard. This was actually, um, I want to say it was just after. Witchwood, or maybe it, maybe it was even later when they rotated out Ganon Baku. But I know that the first time I hit Legend was with an even shaman, and I believe it was in Wild. So it was probably after they rotated. But this was also the first time I had enough of a pre-order and opening packs that I had the entire expansion, and that was kind of super nifty and exciting, knowing that I had all the cards, and I was so excited that I had all the cards from the Witchwood. <laughs> Yeah, I. <laughs> so, my second legend was uh, the month which would came out. It was I did the first half of the climb before it released with um, uh, spell uh, spell hunter, which ran um, uh, Barnes and Yasharaj because that mm. deck was very strange. Um, <laughs> and then did the second half with um, uh, Spiteful Druid. So yeah, I was, I was getting there as a good player. I didn't hit it. Did I hit it again during which would? I don't think so. I think my next legend was Boomsday. Yeah. So I was, you know, I and was tooling there, around. There were, there were definitely a lot of changes. I mean, there were nowhere near, there was nowhere near the amount of, patches and balance updates and things like we have now the fact that we have a pretty continual nerf buff change schedule now feels super speedy compared to what we had in the past yeah it Um, is actually worth noting so 
coming into Witchwood, like once the full set had been revealed, a lot of people. So actually, go back a year um, when Angora was coming out. A lot of people looked at Angora and said, "Hmm, I don't think this competes. I think we're going to still be playing um, Pirate Warrior and uh, uh, the various good shamans." And then Angoro came out and it was great and everything was fine. Uh, and then Witchwood's, you know, previewed and everyone's looking at it and it's like, hmm, I think we're still going to be playing Q-Block and uh, Spiteful Druid and Spiteful Priest and um, Call to Arms uh, Paladin. And then Witchwood came out and everyone was still playing those decks. <laughs> and it was like, ah, no, we called it this time. <laughs> uh uh, and so there was a nerf a few weeks in to, uh, it was actually a little, there more was a month nerf. In. There was a nerf about a month later. So it came out in April. It was the end of May. We had the first nerf yeah. that happened. And that was um, mostly to, I think almost actually entirely to, um, year of the mammoth cards. Uh, that was the Q block and call to arms nerf, if I recall. Yeah, that was those were the main things. Yes, call to also arms, possessed lackey, spiteful, spiteful summoner, Naga Sea Witch, Crystal Core. Oh Amber. yeah, because that was because yeah, Naga Sea Witch, I believe, was a mechanic change in nine point one, which was relatively uh, recent before that, where they just changed how card cost setting works. It yeah. used to be that uh, it would just set set the giants would always cost five. Their discount would apply, then it would cost five. They swap the order, so it set to five and then discounted after. And so there was Naga Giants was gross. It was really, really gross. It, way more powerful than anything else that was going on at the time. Yeah, that was yeah, super broken and wild. Really, really bad. There was, I remember there was a wild tournament where someone, I think it might have been Reno Jackson, brought four Naga Giants decks in four different classes and won. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, to make the statement to prove that it was a problem to get Blizzard to respond. Yeah. (laughs) No, to win the tournament. Both. But (laughs) you can play a bunch of zero mana eight eights. Play a bunch of zero mana eight eights. (laughs) Like, I think Um, one of the classes, like, he could have actually played a slightly better deck, but it was like, you know, I will play four Naga Giants deck, and you can try to counter Naga Giants, and it won't work. Yeah, and yeah. There, there were a lot of game mechanic changes with that patch as well that got us into t- discussing what is the rule book and what are the order of operations and what happens when a card moves from one area of play to another area of play. Um, things yeah. like counter spell now beats whenever and after triggers. It didn't do that before. Yeah. And... Uh, the one that and ha- you you will probably remember this. There was an issue where playing faceless manipulator targeting a five attack minion will no longer advance jungle giants quest and is instead considered a three three instead of a five mana minion. And they made this change, if I remember right, like just before a major tournament was happening and yeah. people yeah. had to scramble to fix their decks or submit new things. And they got they like less than 24 hour notice. It was really bad. No, they, they, they it was past the submission deadline. There, yeah. I, there was a tweet by one of the pros that was like, you know, what do we do if we submitted uh, uh, a quest druid? 
And like another yeah, girl was frozen of like, go out and see the city. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you're, and I, yeah. I still maintain this was wrong. Uh, <laughs> like most of these, they should have played I on think, old servers. No, no. I, like I, I still maintain the change doesn't make sense. I, so, um, uh, like two things down on this list is choose one minions that transform now consider their transformation effects before entering. So shell shifter selecting a five, three counts as a five attack minion, but a faceless manipulator targeting a five attack minion doesn't count. I think that's stupid. <laughs> Thankfully it doesn't matter anymore, but I, I maintain that was stupid. <laughs> It barely mattered then, and I don't want to give the impression, listeners, if you weren't playing around this time, if you think that this was a disruption to the Mater meta deck that was Quest Druid, it was not. That deck sucked. Uh, but <laughs> it, it was... had limited application in Conquest formats. Yeah. The, yeah, it mostly didn't matter. The I Yeah. I think it was interesting because it brought up a lot of discussion around how mechanics and how triggers work and I think it's where the community in general and especially the, the more engaged players started seeing these inconsistencies in the way things were done in the game and started pushing back and questioning why. Yeah. The around this time, I can't remember when exactly they, they, um, they cleaned up the way things entered, especially off call to arms and that, uh, that that helped a ton and like the the way zone ordering works now where if you go forward in um deck to hand hand to board board to dead uh you keep buffs and if you go backwards along that chain you lose buffs and if you go sideways along that chain you keep buffs um that that was a huge improvement that just made everything way more easy to understand how it was going to work yeah and a lot of these things were close to the same thing. So the first game mechanics update that we got, it, was, it wasn't a blog. It was a video for some reason. Because the best thing to do when you need specific technical information is to have a four-minute video where a person talks about it. Like, I understand the need for visual aids, but you can just put screenshots in the article. Um, but they did a video, and that was in October 2017. And this was the video where they changed how whenever and after works, and they added something called trigger validation. This is the thing that was missing, was trigger validation, where what used to happen, if you played Call to Arms for Wild Pyromancer is the example that comes up a lot. Yep. Call to Arms, it summons three, two or less mana minions from your deck. Wild Pyromancer says whenever you play a spell and deal one damage to all minions, you would Call to Arms, pull out the Wild Pyromancer, it would trigger from the Call to Arms that you would play, and it would kill all your stuff. So the thing that, that, that they added was trigger validation, where now anytime a whenever and after cared about something... It had to see the spell being played and see the spell finish being played, kind of like how spell burst works now. That wasn't in the game before. They added it in October 2017, and it cleaned up the game a lot. For this patch, for the one in the 11.0 cycle of the Witchwood cycle, it said continued updates to game event timing to make card interactions more intuitive. It did not give details. Here's what I read. We fixed our crappy code. Because they definitely knew they had some crappy code for some things, and they knew they wanted to fix it, and they finally got around to it. Because it was, a lot of this stuff was supposed to happen consistently, but it just didn't, and then they made it consistent. Wait, was it, this was the patch that turned, um, that like, 
Fibonacci was like, oh, you know, um, Warriors unplayable. I'm just not playing. To oh, uh, um, I can steal their buffed things. I can now play Warrior no. again. That was this set, but not this patch. Oh. 12.0 Boomsday's pre-patch. It yeah. was the last week of of Witchwood. It changed so that uh, if you copy cards from your opponent's hand, it kept the buffs. So yeah. instead of copying and getting nine mana Shatterwalks, you would get one mana Shatterwalks now. Because it makes sense. Again, it's a lateral thing. It should. It's from one hand to another. It shouldn't lose any any buffs or, or enchantments or whatever. So that was... They did a bunch of that rules cleaning up stuff during this expansion because they clearly had intention to, f- to fix that. Um, for those of you Magic players out there, this is like the 6th edition rules era. Yeah. Where they took all the old cruft and all the old code that they knew they wanted to work a little differently because the way they wanted the game to work and the way it was working wasn't the same. And they cleaned it up. So this is definitely where they started fixing things, but also stuff like Naga Sea Witch broke because it was designed under the old code. Yeah. And also, for some reason, this particular rules patch cared an awful lot about the Jungle Giants, which was a terrible druid quest, but it had three bullet points in the article when there were like three people playing it on ladder. I don't really understand. Yeah, it was weird. Like So but- then... The 6th edition comparison is very apt. (laughs) Yeah. So then looking at what we were playing. So just before the first nerf. So I went back, pulled the data reaper reports from vicious syndicate from way back in the day. All that data is still there. I think I had to go like 15, 16 pages in to find these. Uh, Just before the nerf patch. So after the meta had had some time to stabilize, 21% 21% Paladin, mostly even Paladin. 18.8% Warlock, mostly Cube Warlock. 15.7% Druid, mostly Spiteful Druid. Then Odd Rogue, Tempo Mage, Control Priest. Yep. There's, then... There, go ahead. People were... Oh, some people were playing Odd Paladin, but like not nearly enough for how good it actually was. They should have been playing more. Yeah. There was some significant Sorry, that rotation was, that, that was, people thought mattered more than it did. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, of that Paladin, of that 21.6%, 13% even Paladin, 4.15% odd Paladin, and then 3.62% Murloc Paladin? I don't remember Murloc Paladin in those days. Neither do I. <laughs> there were a couple Murloc decks that were around. That was after some of the... Um, that was after a lot of the Mean Street stuff rotated uh, for this set, but there was still plenty going on from uh, from the Year of the Mammoth. There were enough Murloc cards there. Yeah. Uh, like your Rockpool Hunter sort of thing. Yeah, we also saw at this point 4.64% Quest Rogue, and in the nerf patch, Quest Rogue was changed... And nerfed so Crystal Core, the reward made the minions four fours instead of five fives. Um, spoiler, it gets nerfed again. <laughs> uh, not directly, but yes. Well, the uh, 
the rule there was a rule change that ended up nerfing it after it had already been rotated to wild and wasn't good and then they undid a bunch of the other nerfs but yeah there was a, a nerf that was adjacent to this deck that was very significant because giggling inventor made this deck insane again yeah. somehow <laughs> yeah so we had the nerfs and then we saw that paladin became more prevalent at 23 and a half percent of the meta most of that being even paladin almost little over 19 percent for warlock being cube warlock and control warlock 13 percent druid mostly spiteful 13 percent mage mostly tempo then quest rogue odd rope control priest And then the very final report, the very last report for Witchwood, we see that there was a huge shift. Paladin was no longer top dog, but it was Druid. 16% of the meta was Druid, being Taunt, Spiteful, Token, and Mally Druid. Then 13% was Rogue, Odd Rogue, and Miracle Rogue. Then we had 13% mage with Alunith and Big Spell Mage. And Spell Hunter and Katarina Hunter. And Shutterwalk Shaman. And even Shaman. And then even where Paladin is clear down to only 8% of the meta. Down from almost 24%. Yeah. Uh, Ixar has made it clear that even Paladin is the most underplayed deck in the history of Hearthstone. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not surprised at all. Yeah. It's it's once it lost call to arms, people just deleted it and never looked back, but it was still good the whole time. Yep. I yeah, I remember um uh Robobson destroying me in the CCLS with uh even shaman. Or it's not even shaman, yeah, even paladin. I played a THL match against Robobson around this time. And uh I I was behind against the rest of his lineup, but his even paladin didn't have Gen in it, and we still went to five games. <laughs> he was a very, very good paladin player at this time. Yes, still is. But yes, at yeah. the time he was wired in. That was this was roughly around the era of his six X legend, which is a stupid thing that no one should ever do. Yeah, this was six X legend. We had rank fours, but you still reset to like rank fifteen. Uh, no, this was the no, four wait, rank no. thing. No, no, this was this was four rank resets. Yeah, yeah. So right. Witchwood was right before Witchwood was when they changed the rank ladder. Of it used to be you you kind of did the full reset like you did now, except no rank floors, and they added the rank floors. Then shortly after, around uh, me, uh, I think it was on Gorowish. Um, but this was around the era where they had reset it. To the new thing of you only drop four ranks. Yeah, they switched to the But then every in, rank has five stars. Yeah, like Witchwood came out in April. They went to the reset to four thing in March. I remember because I first yep. hit Legend in January and then was like, oh, but I don't want to grind in February. And they say, you know, you'll only reset four from where you end in February. Really? You're doing that to me now? <laughs> yeah. They... They had realized that there was a problem with the just kind of the lifestyle investment that Harson was demanding if you wanted to be legend. Like it was just a time commitment issue. Yeah. But the way they fixed it with by, you know, band-aiding the old system um, 
we actually got a lot of feedback into CoinKazit at the time. People were used to identifying of spending the whole month to get back to where they had started the previous one and then going a little bit further or kind of seeing how fast they could do it, stuff like that. Yeah. And instead, people felt like they had caught the car. They were the dog chasing the car. They caught it and didn't know what to do with it. Where people felt stuck. The matches were generally better. Like you generally found hard-fought matches against people of equal skill. But that meant you were constantly going 50-50 and feeling stuck. And then when you hit a new rank plateau, if you tried to move up, you felt like you were getting smacked down. And if you were just trying to idly play, the games took a lot longer. It ended up being better, but not unequivocally better like we thought it was going to be. And it took a much more complicated system on the back end with more, you know, uh, flashing lights and funky colors in the front end, like the new rank system, to really land us in a better place. Definitely. It was better than the old reset 16, but not by much. Yeah. The thing the new system does is make you is trick you into thinking you're reset to rank 16 without actually doing it. It's a complicated system to inspire simple behavior. Just press the play button. Who cares? Let the system deal with it for you. Exactly. Whereas all the old stuff was all built on being as transparent as possible, but humans with complete information frequently make poor decisions. Yep. True. And actually, I, I had misspoke about the earlier settings for what was there the very last meta report changes significantly where zoo warlock came up schwal yeah i remember the warlock was 26 percent, and we had zoo warlock as 14 percent. it was zoo and even warlock you were obviously was happy cool zoo? this this was yeah was happy, happy goal zoo yeah so oh that deck was nuts i played a decent amount of this in wait witchwood not enough to get legend but I got decent at the deck. And um, the next set had uh, Solarium and like one other card that was very good for Kielzu. And so, and I was like, hmm, well, maybe I'll craft that and play some Kielzu or whatever. Uh, and then I opened it as my free legendary. And I was like, oh, okay then. And I got legend in like well, five years. <laughs> Remember back then there was this debate over whether or not Solarium was a good card? No. I don't remember. I saw yes. that and was like, this card is okay. busted. <laughs> it is. There wasn't there. People debated it, but there was no debate. No cards insane. Yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> I also see odd rogue and miracle rogue. Now th- this was not running gadgets. It was. Auctioneer. Was it? This I was thought still... it had rotated out at this point. No, no. Gadget and auctioneer has never rotated out of standard. Oh, that's right. Close. Because it was, it was in classic. Yep. yep. And now it's in still in classic and whatever. it stayed in classic and it, <laughs> everyone expected it to rotate out. Everyone expected it to get Hall of Famed years and years in a row. Everyone thought this. Kibler kept saying it was going to happen. Sorry, Kibler. Never happened. Nope. Still in standard to this very minute. Yep. Yeah. Then we saw Taunt Druid. Um, now, this was Taunt Druid that was also being played with Hadronox and all sorts of other cards to abuse Hadronox. Yeah, this is um, not Taunt Druid aggro like we have now. This was late game Taunt Druid. <laughs> this was a really yeah, fun yeah. Capital T Taunts. Yeah, it was really, really grindy. Uh and you would just build a board full of nothing but massive taunts like four times a game? Yep. Yeah. I, 
you could do five. I if you timed your cubes right, you could do five. Uh, yeah. That. So it's funny looking at this. And I'm if like, your opponent killed the wrong things first. Yeah. It's funny looking at this list. I'm like seeing the basis of my my um, favorite CCLS lineup of like, okay, it's Heal Zoo, Taunt Druid, um, Cube Hunter, and whatever fourth deck I felt like that week, usually some Paladin. <laughs> now... With yep. cu- with Cube Hunter, this also ran the original Rush minion, which was Devil Sword, which was <laughs> ki- Battle Cry cannot attack heroes. But because you were cubing and then popping cubes, it wasn't a Battle Cry, so it could attack heroes. Yeah. Um, Dino Cube Hunter was fun. Yeah. So, like, I loved playing a lot of these decks. The problem is that, you know, the meta we're looking at here doesn't change that much from here for the next four months basically <laughs> warrior there gets was some like there was some merit to the gameplay overall the issue is that the design of which would that my biggest my my which would uh thesis statement about why i think it is the worst set of all time is not because it had the overall worst collection of cards the overall lowest card quality i don't think that's true I would give that honor to either TGT or Rastakhan's. I think one of those two probably has the lowest average card quality. And for those of you uh, newer players, and when I say newer, I mean even the past few years, if you ever have a bored afternoon, just go to the Grand Tournament card file and just start scrolling and see what's going on there. There's, You'll wonder what they were thinking. Um, it was a different game. Yeah. It, I don't... TGT was different from the rest of Hearthstone back then. There, yeah. there was there were a lot of cards in that set that weren't real cards. Um, but uh, if you look at Witchwood, my biggest argument here is that the good things in this set, the only good things in this set, were so bad for the game that they had to be dumped on Wild to save Standard. Yeah, and everything else was awful. Yeah, that is. There, there's a saying um, that. Uh, Mark Rosewater has, who is the lead designer of Magic, which is uh, make the fun thing in your game the good thing to do. And they completely failed at that. Yes. With this set. <laughs> yep. And the introduction of Rush was important, and I understand it took them a while to get the mana down, but again, it was very clear that this is a thing that was going to happen to Hearthstone, and which would happen to be the place where they introduced it. They didn't really make which would a rush set. It was a set with rush cards in it, but it's not like there were a lot of rush matters mechanics here. It was just a thing that appeared in some cards. So the mechanics they were building around, the the things that were exciting for this set were odd and even and I guess uh, Echo. And those were both pretty big failures. I think Echo was not terrible as a mechanic, but the Echo cards in the set were not very good. Um, And, you know, when you're designing for repetitive gameplay to be a core part of a of both of your set mechanics well be careful what you wish for yeah i i do briefly want to go over sort of what was in each class's set uh start with druid druid had a bunch of hand-sized matters cards that actually worked most notably whispering woods oh yeah which was summon a one one whisper each card in your hand that card was in token druid like it just played that card. It, it was like and actually decent. <laughs> we'd play it now. This would go in Anaconda Druid. It's a nature spell. We would play it on four and Arbor up on five. We would do that right now. 
yeah, like the, the, the Druid set is honestly okay, which is kind of amazing. Uh, well, yeah. ferocious, ferocious howl. howl and whispering woods are okay. The rest of the cards. Do we decide which hour we'll saw play? Which wood apple was in the uh, whispering woods deck? Which guardian was uh, in the whispering woods deck? Forest guide saw some play in bad decks, but <laughs> but it, it saw some yeah. play. Yeah, like Druid might have the best set, honestly. <laughs> uh, <Ugh>. Notice <laughs> we're not talking about the legendaries. Nope. They- one of them is bad, and one of them is... Druid loses some credit, but we'll get to that in the superlatives, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, True. Hunter has Rat Trap, which saw a little bit of play, Houndmaster Shaw, which I loved and saw a decent amount of play, and a bunch of crap. Uh, Dire Dire Frenzy. Dire Frenzy. This is where Dire Frenzy comes from. I, I, I just didn't like playing that deck, so I was ignoring it, but yes, Dire Frenzy is actually in the set. The it weirdly had like a couple of dragons that just did not matter ever. Uh, and Wing Blast if Sean Smoker listens to this play. podcast, he's going to be upset. <laughs> I never played against him, so they never mattered ever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mage tried to do some interesting stuff with like drawing extra minions and playing lots of minions that didn't work. Um, Cinder Storm saw some play. That was a decent card. Arcane Keysmith, people occasionally played. That was it. That's all consistent play in Highlander Mage decks. And Book of Spectres is in the set, and that card is really, really powerful. Um, Definitely one of the better cards in the set overall, and it saw play consistently in Standard and still occasionally sees played in Wild. Uh, It needed some support tools, but it sure got them. And Book of Spectres, when after a Luna's Pocket Galaxy, was incredibly demoralizing. Yeah. Two mana, draw three cards, discard any spells drawn. That, that also that wording uh, does not mention hero cards. It you still draw the hero cards. <laughs> that that was actually pretty important. Paladin <laughs> uh, had a bunch of random stuff that didn't work. Yeah, no, just a bunch of random Paladin stuff. That's that didn't awful. Work. There was like a minor buffing. A stuff bunch of these cards were decent for a week. Silver Sword and Arena was insane. Eight mana, three, four weapon. After your hero attacks, give your minions plus one, plus one. In Arena, this was one of the best cards in the set. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Bellringer Century wasn't played initially, but came around again in Wild to allow Secret Paladin to be a thing. It was never actually any good, though. People. It was okay. It was kind of okay. I played that deck a little bit. It was. It was. It was those kind of decks where, like, it's better than I expected, so it's fine. Because every time I looked at that list, I was like, this can't possibly be a real deck. And this was an era of Paladin Identity Crisis, for sure, outside of the hero power stuff. It wasn't really sure what to do. Um, but I played a couple of games with Bellringer. Like, it was okay. It was never exciting, and it was never in a, the best deck or a really good deck, but it was acceptable. Yeah. Priest had some actually efficient healing, which people had been complaining about. Paladin having better healing, so good there. Some random other cards that didn't work. And nice Vivid Nightmare is a card. Sorry. Vivid Nightmare, three mana, choose a friendly minion, summon a copy of it with one health remaining, 
every player that I knew when reviewing this card says, I have no idea what to do with this. I'm not going to play it in day one. There will be some gross combo with this. I'm not going to see it coming, and it's going to be unpleasant. Did that ever come? I don't remember. There was a period before Zarek's cloning gallery was printed where I think we were nightmaring something. Yeah, um, that sounds familiar. There were a couple decks that definitely, like, it's definitely a card that was used for evil, but luckily none of that evil ever took form greater than other evils. Wait, I was guess. this in APM Priest? It was. Yeah. Yeah. The original APM deck, which, like, I... I when people coded tools on a website so you could practice the ordering and sequencing of that deck oh, yeah. so you could do it in the game but never on mobile. Yeah, it was, no. That that was a big brain deck that I was like, I tried it once with the tool that was online and no, that was enough for me. Yeah, I remember like descriptions of it was like to combo off you need like, you know, two vivid nightmares, like two cost reducers, a boar, you know, one to two of these and a mouse. <laughs> like, yeah, it was, it would be intense even by today's Stormwind standard. The only person that consistently do it was dog though. I know killing all day, spend a lot of time practicing. There was say trolled in clip where I think he won through two void Lords. There and was, that was pretty impressive. There was a troll um, clip where he won through a full board of divine shield taunts. Yeah, I, I remember it distinctly. It's yeah. So like that that should give you an idea. There were two people who were good enough to play this deck. <laughs> two. Yeah, and there was also a trolled in compilation of a bunch of people miss like failing with it miserably. Oh yeah, and then it cut to a clip of dog winning with it. Yeah, dog is. Very, very, very good at games, especially Hearthstone. <laughs> uh, Rogue had a bunch of Echo stuff that sucked and a bunch of um, uh, uh, Burgle stuff that wasn't actually any good, but people still played it. <laughs> wasn't good then. No, it just wasn't good. There's... There's one card here that is both efficient enough to see play in standard and also a very good boy. Oh, right. Blink Fox. Blink Fox. Blink Fox. Blink, Blink Fox. Amazing card in Mercenaries. Huh. And had the most adorable little roo-roo when you played it, but also was just, just a bigger swashburglar, and that was okay. Yeah. It was good oh, enough. We played this. Okay, I know that you're going to say you can't comment, but did you play with Blink, Blink Fox in Mercenaries? And if hey, so, if so, did it make you happy? Steven. Yeah. I liked Mercenaries. I look forward to playing more next week. <laughs> I, I had to ask. Um, Blink, Blink Fox is one of those cards that has a special place in my heart. The, the artwork is absolutely gorgeous. I used it on my vertical monitor that sits off to the side of my primary monitor as the wallpaper for this entire expansion. Um, in Golden, it's got the like cherry blossoms floating down. It's just, it's a wonderful card. Yeah, there was someone who was around a lot, especially in... Um... Blister guys discord who like would uh 
do like comment about various um, Har- uh, Hearthstone art, and his image was Blink Fox wearing sunglasses. <laughs> and now I, I, I cannot remember his name. I, I'm sorry, but <laughs> I, I always associate oh, yeah. that with him. I vaguely remember this. Yeah. Yes. It, it, he uh, hasn't been around. A bit, but yes, it, but, the, yeah. this this was the start though of of the kind of thief rogue we we had Tess Greymane where replay every card from another class that you've played this game and targets are chosen randomly and you know our good friend you know Si Jahang of you know every every podcast he's a friend of we we adore yep. that gentleman um this was like his pet deck he loved this deck and it didn't get better until later um but it was a start it it was it has never it was never at any point a tier deck in standard or wild but people but still it loved it it was fun it was fun yeah <laughs> yeah they printed some actually relevant like burgle matters cards in rise of shadows with vendetta and uh and the two men and two three that became uh underbelly fence yeah it was a two three that became a three four if you had a burgle card they printed those the next year when they were okay with printing uh pushing the power level a little bit uh these cards were fun but not good they were kibler level cards and kibler played a lot of test rogue yeah it was the only rogue that i remember seeing him play uh but was this a real deck absolutely not uh shaman had a bunch of spell spatter stuff that were actually okay uh battle cry theme with shaman has the best set in this in this this is the best class set right uh maybe Ooh, that's i, that's I have an award statement <laughs> oh we'll talk about it yeah uh also had hagatha the witch the hero card so yeah shamans is like fairly solid uh warlock has a bunch of cards wait wait wait, wait 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 before you go to warlock yeah. i can't believe that we really haven't discussed Shutterwalk at all that was a big deal Shutterwalk was a huge deal. I remember the clip of what was it? Disguised host figured it out. Yeah. And it was before you could actually concede while animations were happening where he played so many. It glitched out. He had like 12 of them on the board, got up and went and made a sandwich, came back to his stream and Shutterwalk was still triggering. Yeah, it was. The animations were a problem. Once they fixed the animations, People realized the deck wasn't actually that great, uh, but then they printed more cards for it later, and the deck was, and people refined the deck, which it needed a lot of refining, and it was around for, you know, the rest of the year basically as a decent sort of combo control deck. That I don't know. I, I always really liked Chudderwalk existing. I, I found playing against it pretty interesting. It was a cool deck that did things in a different way, and Shutterwalk ended up, in retrospect, being one of the more powerful Shaman cards they've printed in a while. Galakron Shaman depended on it. And there are a bunch of other Shaman decks where you just you put the Shutterwalk in, Quest Shaman depended on it, yeah, and it, it made such a big deal. Uh, it was a lot of value in a way that couldn't really be dealt with. It didn't do what the Quest did in, in like the Quest currently. They show you what they're doing. Shutterwalk didn't show you, 
but every battle cry your opponent played, it got loaded into the Shutterwalk, and you could not stop that. That was not a thing that you could turn off. And so it allowed players to skillfully build this massive value bomb that in some cases would be a full combo that would win the game by itself, like actually win the game. And in other times, it would just generate enough value to effectively win you the game. Uh, and it was interesting, but also the decks were really minion heavy. They took a little while to get going. There were a clear pass to attack them. I thought it was a really, really nicely done. Um, it was effective and distinctive. And the original Shutterwalk combo deck in Witchwood where the animations were a bigger problem than win rate, that was the first Ticketus Warlock yep. that I remember seeing, where people's perception of the deck and the reality of the deck were so far apart, but people hated losing to it more than anything, and yet would not concede. Because yep. what I would do, once they played the first Shadow Walk, I'd just go. The first nine mana one. As soon as they play that, if you don't kill them that turn, just go. It's fine. Yeah, this was... Um, uh, yeah, Totally agree. Also worth noting, uh, if you want to play Shudderwalk, you can. It's still, it's playable in Wild right now. Like, you can play Shudderwalk yeah. Shaman. Either combo or midrange, your choice. <laughs> it doesn't see a lot of play, but yeah. It was, it was a, it was it's a in... fun combo deck. Shudderwalk, the card, is in most Reno Shamans right now and is in Galakron Shaman. Yeah. It, is, it does currently see play in those decks, which have definitely taken a little bit of a backseat to what's going on in Wild right now. But, like, as, I believe Ixar said he got Legend with Galakron Shaman last month. Yeah. Nice. Or was that August? Something like that recently. Yeah, probably after the mini set before um, uh, the Stormwind. Oh, it was during Seedlock. It was during that era. Oh, really? Huh. That's impressive. Yep. I mean, it's Ixar. He's good at Hearthstone. No, and yes. also, Flurgle Toxin does a lot of work. Yes, yes, it does. <laughs> uh, anyway, okay, you can go to Warlock. Warlock uh, there's bad zoo cards and Lord Godfrey and Gwenda. Yep, that, that's all there is here. This set sucked. Yep. The- Godfrey was good. Glinda was decent and also broken sometimes. Everything else was absolute garbage. Fiendish Circle cost four back then, back in my day. Yep. The, One mana per imp. That's, that was the exchange rate at the time. Yeah. The um, So like that zoo deck that popped up, it played none of these cards. Or maybe it, You didn't find room for Deathweb Spider, which is a card that I definitely still remembered existed before <laughs> right now. Oh, I remember this set. I I remember thinking that Blood Witch and Deathweb Spider might be decent. They were not, not even remotely. They did actually come back to, by the way, self damage payoffs. They did do that again in Warlock. It was better the next couple times. Yeah, when it was Dark Glare and Demon Seed, better than Blood Witch and the Deathweb Spider, because instead of your mid mid sized minion has life steal now, it was you get a bunch of free mana and cards and deal damage to your opponent, and then you play some 8-8s. Turned out to be more relevant. Yep. Who would have guessed? Warrior has a bunch of rush stuff, which was pretty relevant. Uh, Warpath, which was great. Uh, and Black Owl Gunspire, which was a meme. That, yeah. Now, yep. Pat, was- Town Crier is one of the few rush cards in the, if, one of the few rush matters cards in the set, and it is incredible. Yeah. One man held warrior together. Cry, draw a rush minion from your deck. That 
that card saw play the entire time it was in standard. Now, Hat, didn't you open or was was the Gunspire your pre-order legendary? Uh, I believe that was Steve. Yeah, that was Wicked Good. Uh, Wicked Good. Yep. So I don't remember what my pre-order legendary was at the time, but I remember very distinctly this was during the Wicked Good era of open the worst card in the set in Golden or for as my first legendary. Yeah. Or both. And uh, the Black Hall Fun Spire continued that trend. Yeah, yes. I distinctly remember him theory crafting a deck for him because he knew he was going to open it, got it as his preview card, and was like, well, I guess we're playing this, <laughs> you know, playing that deck. Yeah. Now, for those of you that don't know, Black Howl Gunspire, seven mana, three, eight, cannot attack. So it's basically a watch post. But whenever it takes damage, deal three damage to a random enemy. Um, seven mana, three, eight that everyone ignored if it was on your board. The theory was you would get it. You might even try and copy it. And then you'd play something like Bouncing Blades or the uh, Warpath to yeah. go ahead and do one damage to it and have it shoot a bunch of cannonballs and kill things. Um most people who have this might have tried it once, got it to work once, and then never played it again. I think the average uh, times playing this card for people that owned it is about half. Uh, half of a game. <laughs> yeah. That they lost. <laughs> yeah. So with that, we get to our award section. And the first award is for the Free Shaman Award for the worst class set. And the nominees are Warlock and Rogue. I I want to say I Warlock. honestly think yeah yeah I th- what about you Schwell? I think I have to give it to Warlock because at least there were some people who wanted to play the rogue cards there was nobody who wanted to play the Warlock cards yeah the self damage matters with Blood Witch as the setup card like all of these cards were just like not very aggressively costed and didn't do anything and in the era of Rush, you can't just print a bunch of mediocre stats. Yeah. Um, I will say Paladin is pretty close to being on this list because it has a bunch of cards that look relevant because they're Paladin. Yeah. So they always look like they have one extra stat point. But none of these cards ever saw any real play in Standard. Prince, Prince Liam was a total joke. Yeah. Uh, the Glass Knight I played a little bit of, but only because I opened it. If I hadn't opened it, I wouldn't have crafted it ever. But like... It's, gotta be warlock warlock is so awful i guess i i i played face collector in decks before like i honestly i think blink fox single-handedly saves this set over warlock it's just blink fox versus godfrey and i played two blink foxes and one godfrey so i'll uh, warlock's the worst set yeah that that sounds good now the q block award for the best class set uh, the nominees are druid shaman and warrior uh Warriors was good, but it got outclassed pretty quickly. Most of these cards stopped seeing play once Spoonstay came out. This is close, actually. It's pretty yeah. close. Druid. Druid, I just like. Yeah. The problem with Druid is like a bunch of these cards also got outclassed. And like the ones that didn't were Ferocious Hell and Witching Hour, which weren't. Which were like witching hour mattered but like ferocious howl was just gained some armor yeah maybe it's shaman i think you're right i think it is just shaman 
Yeah, Druid think, had Steven? Druid had no playable legendaries at all. Nope. Um, they were significant. Most bad. of the set didn't, though. Yeah, most of the set did not have playable legendaries at all. But Shaman, both of them got played between Hagatha the Witch yeah, and yeah. Shutterwalk. I mean, you had you. I don't know if the timing is right year wise, but I know that Hagatha was in Hunter Ace's really bizarre control shaman that no one saw coming in like the final two games that blew everyone's mind at the last worlds oh yeah that was rise of shadows yeah that was in uh so yeah it was this hagatha and that was rise of shadows it was awesome hagatha is one of the most fun cards that i can remember ever playing with i loved playing with it so much um it was a little goofy and like obviously there was significant rng um though as the years went on and the metas got larger then of course the pool got diluted and you end up with a bunch of crap in your hand uh, but it was really, really fun to play, and Shaman could get away with playing it in the set. Yeah. Like, you could cast this, you could build a deck with this in it and survive to that point, play it, and then win afterwards with the value you got from it. And then we already said Shutterwalk saw play. Earth and Might made Elemental Shaman possible. Um, eh, the, let's not over There are some losers in this set. Totem Cruncher. I, yeah. I wanted Totem Cruncher mm. to be cool. I thought... It was interesting. Four mana, two, three, taunt, destroy your totems, gain plus two, plus two for each destroy. Never saw play. I could have sworn um, that was in some even shaman. It was. It wasn't there was good. like a Don't one of and a lot of lists. It was like in one. And then looking at yeah. Warrior, Warrior had some great cards. A, a Warrior had Rush. I mean, Militia Commander, Darius Crowley, Town Crier, Warpath. But then you know, Gunspire, Deadly Arsenal, um, just things that didn't really see play. So for me, it, it's got to be Shaman as the best one out of this set. Yeah. I will say, I think Warrior set is cohesive in its design. We know what they were trying to do. They threw in a few onesie funsies, whatever. Yeah. But when you look at the Warrior set, you know what you're supposed to do with Warriors, play a bunch of Rush minions. And while it may be a little bit heavy-handed... It's okay for a set to give clear direction. Yeah. And the Warrior one had a bunch of cards that clearly worked well together that it wanted to play all at once. And we did that and it was good. So I do think that the set was more cohesive, but Shaman had better cards and the cards ended up lasting longer. And they ended up making cohesive decks because they were powerful enough to be played in about anything. Yeah. Now, the Trogsor, the Ursinator Award for most overhyped card during previous season. Oh my God, there are so many of these. <laughs> <laughs> Splintercraft, Emerus, Archmaid Irugal, Vexcrow, Toki, Cathedral Gargoyle, Bellringer Sentry, Prince Liam, Camellios, Lady in White, which was maybe just wicked good, uh, Tess Greymane, War Godfried, Mad Hatter, Countess Ashmores, Splitting Fester Root. This may come down in history as the most overhyped set of all time. Like. <laughs> People thought the legendaries would see play and they just didn't. <laughs> um, it's yeah. I thinking back about this at, at this time with what was going on, the ones that stand out in my mind that I remember was Toki being pretty hyped because Toki time ticker, six mana, five, five battle cry at a random legendary minion from the past to your hand it could be ragnaros it's always right it's never ragnaros um, 
but that was that was the thing. It was like, wait, it's gonna give us a card that's only available in wild, and we can play it in standard, and we're gonna get crazy things, and it it didn't pay off. The other one, and it yeah. was the one that I didn't understand that became a big discussion about was it really valuable? Was it good enough to take it up? And that I want to talk a little bit about Camellias, the one mana one one legendary and priest. Each turn, this is in your the hand. The instigator of so many discord fights around this era. Yeah. yeah. Each turn, this is in your hand. Transform it into a card your opponent is holding. So it was like basically being able to, at the start of each turn, reaching over to your opponent, picking one of their cards at random up and looking at it and getting that information and tucking it back or being able to play it yourself. Um, was the information peak competitively worth the card slot hat? Not even a little bit. <laughs> it, not even close to being close. Information being relevant. There are a lot of things that people really want to be true from magic in Hearthstone. Yeah. Having information is okay. Paying a card for that, not okay. The turn draw this to one mana, one, one. Even if you get access to a card in your opponent's hand, it's probably good for them and not for you. Madame Lazul is a much better version of this effect, and she was fringe. Like, you know, she saw play sometimes. But that was look at three cards, discover them, so you don't see duplicates, and you get to take one of them right away and keep it. This was variable relevance at the... And, like, if you want the information... That means that you just delete a slot in your hand to get this kind of revolving door of random crap from your opponent. Not even close to being relevant. It's, uh, people were really excited about it. People, one ones that change every turn, your Camellioses and your Shifter Zerises, people really want those to be good, and they never are. Yeah. Never, ever, ever. So, I need to give a special shout out here to, uh, Mad Hatter. Um, not because Hat used it as his avatar in Discord for like two years, but because people thought this card was good and they were I totally did. wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah. This is a four mana three two with battle cry, randomly toss three hats to other minions. Each hat gives plus one plus one. Now, I looked at this card and said, ah, so you can't play it when you're behind. It's terrible. This card's garbage. And a lot of other people said, but you're an aggro deck, you're ahead. And I was like, you're in insane. This is not remotely playable. And I was right. <laughs> this would have been amazing I, if it randomly tossed three hats to your other minions. But oh, yeah. that your part was missing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If this only hit your minions, it would be great. If this tossed two hats and only targeted your minions, it would be decent. If it can hit your opponent's minions, it is so bad. And people tried to play this yep. in like that that heals you list. People occasionally put this in. And I was like, okay, thanks for the hats. Maybe they just wanted to help you out. I don't know. It's uh, It was definitely a card that people tried a lot. There were a lot of cards that people tried this season because they it, they thought in this expansion, well, certainly the whole set can't be unplayable, right? Ooh. Well, yep. the since the Trogs or the Earthnator Award, which I think we can also update at some point to the Maiev Shadow Song Award, um, 
Countess Ashmore was the card that was like safe craft, staple legendary, and a bunch of different classes. Go ahead, go nuts. Because people were thinking of Curator. Yeah. Curator had taunt, this doesn't. And also, Curator, you could guarantee what you were hitting a lot more easily. Yeah. It was pretty difficult for Ashmore to be specific because if you had these things, you usually had more than one thing. And that meant you just drew a bunch of random cards for playing a seven mana six six, which is a terrible deal. No taunt. Curator had taunt, and then it usually got you Primordial Drake and other stuff, which was also relevant. And uh, it just saw play like one time in Standard, I think. Yeah. For like a few weeks. And there was some deck that played it a little bit, and it was. I think it was mostly people were like, "Oh, hey, we have a Rush, a Life Steal, and a Death Rattle in this deck." Can we just play this? Yeah. And they tried, and it was like, it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't good. But, like, the the other big problem with it is, like, you, there just were not that many decks that naturally wanted to run. There, Every deck wanted to run a rush. That part was fine. The, the life steal and the death rattle part was, like, there were not a lot of decks that wanted to run one or both of those. And the ones you wanted to draw were cheaper, and you wanted them earlier in the game, usually. And you didn't want to play a janky 7-drop to get there. So, And also, as of the next set, your competition on the 7-mana turn was Dr. Boom Mad Genius. And let me tell you, Countess Ashmore, she's no doctor. Nope. Yeah. So with that, let's go to the Corridor Creeper Award for the most underhyped card during previous season. Uh, this is a much shorter list. Uh, it is... Gen Grey Moon, Baku the Moon Eater, Houndmaster Shaw, Life Drinker, Book of Spectres, Vicious Scalehide. Like, I I have to give a shout out here to my boy Houndmaster Shaw, who I saw during preview season. I went, this card is so good. I I love this card. And indeed, I played it for a long time in Cube Hunter, in Death Rattle Hunter. Uh, but they gradually printed more and more rush, and so you just didn't need him anymore, and he fell by the wayside. But I love Townmaster Shaw. But, I mean, come on. It's Gen and Baku. <laughs> but the next two words are going to be real boring if we if we just pick Gen and Baku, and we should probably pick Gen and Baku, because that's the correct answer, objectively. Um, I am going to give a shout-out here to Life Drinker, a vicious Scalehide uh, picked up pretty quickly, and part of the reason why that card was relevant as well is because it changed the Deathstalker Rexar pool, yeah. which they originally were not planning on doing. And then everyone in standards like, this is super weird, why are you leaving the pool the same? So they updated it to match Beast and Standard, which means Beast could just randomly get Lifesteal and Rush on top of them now, which is not something that was supposed to happen. Um, but Life Drinker was a card that kind of crept up on me. It ended up being, I think, one of the most played neutrals uh throughout his life in standard and there were a bunch of times where i picked up a life drinker with a waggle pick in rise of shadow standard i'm like this card's pretty good yeah life drinker like it just saw play in aggro decks mid-range decks it put shaw play in shutter walk as part of the combo like it was just a good card four mana three three deal three to them you gain three life like yeah yep it was enough. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'll I'll go I'll go off script. We're we're gonna pick something that is even not on our list, but a, a shout out card that I don't think anyone paid attention to at release that ended up being really great in control. Let's talk about Mossy Boy, Mossy Horror, the six mana two uh, seven Mossy battle Horror. croy 
destroy all other minions with two or less attack. To be fair, this saw no play at all during Witchwood. Once Giggles got printed, it started seeing play. But- I think there was a brief moment, a very brief moment, where I remember Miracle Rogue played Mossy to counter Spreading Plague as a one-of. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is super weird. <laughs> yeah, it-, it was very strange, but like, if you wanted to kill somebody, and they had a bunch of taunts up, and they all had one attack, yeah, Masa. I think Asmodai uh, played one copy. I think one copy in Asmodai's Miracle Rogue. But yeah, it was it was weird. But when Giggling Inventor came out, oh boy, did we moss him. Oh yeah. We mossed him good. Yeah. So we Mossy Boy, underhyped. Great card. <laughs> Great tech card. Yeah. Now the patches award for the most obviously busted card. I was honestly just gonna give this to no award. Because there were two busted cards in the set. They were again in Baku, and people were pretty unsure about whether they were actually good or not. <laughs> but, Pat, yeah. you have another idea. <laughs> so, like, okay, this is this might be me being biased as a rogue player, but I saw Clan Thug, and I'm like, oh, well, that's going in every rogue deck until it rotates. Yep. It mostly did. Yeah. There was a period where it was not good enough, which got pretty crazy that was in uh our i think i don't remember if rise of shadows aggro rogue i don't think it played it because you were too busy with miscreants uh, yeah that was we we took it out because it didn't do damage right away and because waggle pick sucked with it yeah yeah you're right because i actually played a decent amount of that deck yeah. weirdly <laughs> It, it, it is not weird that you like hitting them in the face. The cards were just not green this time. <laughs> okay, yes, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. But I do think that HenchClan Thug was probably the... I remember it being one of the highest rated sight reads by anyone that ever daggered on two. So they're like, yeah, this is a, it's a 4-4 that just keeps getting bigger forever. Yeah. Um, and it was powerful and also red as powerful and there was very little of that here i don't think it was obviously busted but i think people thought it was going to be strong and it was exactly where they thought it would be yeah so next up the christology award for best flavor text uh whispering woods we didn't actually fire the guy who named dark whispers i i will never forget the um uh bodicus looking at the name of this card and saying, I think they spelled this wrong. And you deadpanning, <laughs> this is what they call in English a pun. <laughs> uh, still gets me. That was, uh, this was the early Bodicus days. We've grown our relationship since then. Yeah. His, I'm holding up air quotes, appreciation for my puns has only uh, deepened <laughs> since then. Yeah. But uh, I'm not sure I will ever forget that. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's a good one. Yep. Um, dire frenzy. It's always huffer and huffer and huffer and huffer. And if you remember that Tice clip, that one of the all-time greats, uh, uh, Houndmaster Shaw, they're all good dogs, Tess, uh, Vex Crow, as birds of ill omen, these crows often summon doomsayers, uh, ghostly charger. Maybe we should have called him ghostly rusher. Uh, vivid nightmare. I I dreamed I accidentally crafted a golden mill house. It was so real. Uh, <laughs> Blink fox. 
it's like super bad at staring contests. Gwinda Kroshrin, summon an unlimited star, number of minions, star star, sisks, wisps, which as we discussed, they changed it so you don't actually get six wisps the turn you play anymore. Uh, Racist scale hides, they make wonderful pets if you're not allergic to blood loss. Uh, Sandbinder, the secret is glue. And Gen Greymane, <laughs> ever since Sylvanas killed his son, he's been dreaming of getting even. No. I I have to give it to Sandbinder because I remember just busting out laughing when I first saw it. <laughs> it was just, it's just so it's so dumb. Yeah. It's the lowest hanging fruit possible, and it just grabs it. Yeah. Vexcrow is very good though because it summoned random two drops, and so it's summoning a doomsayer did actually happen and was really bad for you. Stephen, what's your pick? None of the above. My pick would be Witchwood Piper. Oh. Witchwood Piper. She rids villages of annoying pests like rats and children. Ah, so we can tell which one uh. of us is the school teacher. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that would be me. Yes. Um, also, I that makes sense. I I include that for a couple of reasons. One, I do I do find it kind of funny, and I went ahead and laughed at that. But uh, the artist on that, uh, Ursula Dorada, is an amazing artist out of Brazil, if I remember correctly. Um, yes, she she is out of Brazil. And she does a lot of things in these purples and pinks and is also responsible for the artwork of Gentleman Shutterwalk. Um, I adore Ursula. She's, she's absolutely amazing. So just a little shout out to her, even though she doesn't listen to the podcast that I appreciate the art that she's brought into the game. And if you want to follow her, you can find her at Sula moon on Twitter. All right. Uh, the Matt Dick. I'm going to pick. So Gen Greymane would be the thing that I would be most likely to say. Yes. Sandbinder is the one I'd be most likely to laugh at. <laughs> that fair um now the matt dixon award for the cutest card in the set our nominees are forest guide wink fox witch's apprentice walnut sprite muckling and voodoo doll i Mm. i'm partial to blink fox of course i do think like witch's apprentice has a fun hat yeah that like the hat (laughs) that's where i'm at (laughs) I like. I think it's witches of practice or blink fox, and I wing blink fox. None, none of them reach the level of the penguin, though, or of cute cat. No. no well, no, those are all timers. Yeah. You can you can't always have an all timer. Also, I do want to shout out Totem Cruncher is, is a very pointy boy. He got very the teeth. pointy boy. He got the teeth. He got the quills. It's uh, but you know, I don't know. I'm not gonna say he looks snuggly because he very clearly does not want to be snuggled. And also, the flavor text in Totem Cruncher I just looked up is also fantastic. Totem Cruncher, when regular totem hours won't cut it. <laughs> Not bad. Wait, did you just pick Totem Cruncher because there were no actual Matt Diction nominees in this list and you felt like we needed one? No, I picked Totem Cruncher because it's cute and then I clicked and I realized that it is actually Matt Diction. Yeah. I swear it's all a coincidence. <laughs> okay. I'm still going with Blink Fox, which is by uh, Eva Wilderman. Yes. Yeah, I Blink Fox is a very good boy. Very pretty. 
Um, the Ogre Mancer Award for the Most Improved in Standard, uh, Coffin Crasher, which became part of uh, Mechathune Combo, Mossy Horror, which, as we mentioned, uh, when uh, there were giggling inventors everywhere, was very good. Dire Frenzy, which actually saw play in the deck that shuffled in a bunch of minions. When Zul'jin was good. Yep. For that brief shining moment when we were Zul'jinning and you would trigger your Unleash the Beast and then Dire Frenzy the tokens. Very powerful. I, I don't know. Yeah. All of these things improved for, like, the Coffin Crasher and Mossy Horror improved more, but it was only for really crappy reasons, so I'm going to go Dire Frenzy because I don't want to support Coffin Crashing or Mossy Horroring. Yeah, I think I'm with you on that one. Yeah, Dire, dire Frenzy was a great card. Still sees plays in wild, wild, even though we're talking about standard, but yeah. Wait, it does? Yeah, I still see Dire Frenzy. He's playing fun wild decks, I assume. Yeah. Ah, that, that would be why I didn't realize it. <laughs> yeah, because Schwal hates fun. Exactly. Exactly. Um, the Malgazar's Imp Award for Most Improved in Wild. Um, Fiendish Circle or Shutterwalk. Fiendish Circle now gets played with Darkest Hour in bad decks. I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, not many of these cards yeah. to play in Wild <laughs> that weren't like immediately good like Genin Baku. Shutterwalk's not really, like, improved, just, like, I don't think you could get away with playing it in Wild before, but now there are real reasons to do it, especially with Galakron stuff and even Reno stuff and whatever. Like, uh, Galakron, or uh, Shutterwalk, when you're doing Lothab and Reno, is really strong. It's really, really good things to do a second time. Yeah. 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 Could also be Book of Spectres, because, again, uh, Luna's Pocket Galaxy and, uh, and, you know, Reno Mage, still absolutely a thing that you can do. Yeah, true. The Firelands Portal Award for Most Impactful Arena Card, uh, Houndmaster Shaw, Silver Sword, Curse of Weakness, which is Cauldron, or just like all of the rush. Uh, as much as I love my boy Houndmaster Shaw, I think it's actually Silver Sword. <laughs> card was so stupid. Yeah. Like, it would kill your stuff, and also their board would be insane. Yeah, I remember. There was some game that, like, I was, like, super far behind. I talk a deck of Silver Sword, like, play Silver Sword, like, take out one of their three health things, like, go to a pretty low life total on the crackback, play, like, three taunts, you know, swing Silver Sword again, and then, like, two turns later, I've won. <laughs> it's like, the, the card could turn around games that almost nothing else could. Um, yeah. the Tar Creeper Award for Best Role Player in the set. There, there's actually a surprisingly decent amount of these. Um, Ferocious Howl, Rat Trap, Dire Frenzy, Cinder Storm, Divine Hymn, Lord Godfrey, Town Crier, the various Warrior Rushes, Warpath, Vicious Scalehide, Venge Clan Thug, Nightmare Amalgam, Witch's Cauldron, Life Drinker, Rotten Apple Bomb, Witchwood Grizzly. Some of these cards were more general application. I liked Witchwood Grizzly because it was so specific. And if you were playing a deck that wasn't built around it, it was awful. Yeah. But if you were recruiting it out or bringing it back, it was really, really strong. Uh, I, I liked the bear. Bear was good. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I agree. The bear was good for me. I mean, Hench Clan again, 
being a rogue player. But uh, I, I think back again to Life Drinker. I mean, it was a little bit of heal in some decks, and it was part of the kill you from Shutterwalk as well. It, it kind of played a couple different roles. Yeah. I think I actually want to give it to Divine Him because this was like, what if we gave Priest some healing so that it could compete with Paladin for, you know, having healing? And it worked and it was good and people just played it. Yeah, Divine Him was a great card and it, it did see some play um, as just like two mana heal my own face. Uh, like you would do that in a pinch, but there are also other relevant times that you would use it. And uh, it ended up being really good in every variant of combo priest that was legal when it was good. Yeah. Now the uh, Dr. Boo's scheme award for the worst card in the set, uh, there's one nominee, it's Duskfall and Aviana. So like, I named this card, I named this award after Dr. Boo's scheme because it got memed on a lot. But Duskfall and Aviana is one of very few cards in the history of Hearthstone that is actively detrimental to you when you play it, no matter what. <laughs> uh, it is a 5-mana 3-7. On each player's turn, the first card they play costs 0. Since you played this card, you already played a card. So, Which means your opponent gets to play a zero, play the most expensive or best card in their hand for free, and then they just kill you. <laughs> It's uh, it's one of the most stupendously terrible cards ever printed, and the only way that you would justify playing it is you just hope that your opponent isn't going to do anything with all of that mana. I guess if there's some world where they empty their hand, they're like a really aggressive deck, and you can survive by playing a 5-mana 7-health minion, and they don't pressure you enough to have enough attack to kill the Aviana, then maybe something good might happen. Yeah. Like, best case scenario, they spend their free spell on a bunch of damage to kill this. <laughs> it's so bad. It's so bad. It was uh, my pre-order. It's so bad. It was my pre-order. Oh, oh, it was so. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So sad. And you know, like. But you remember the joke around that time? You probably made it. Dust fallen, Aviana. That's right. And she's still in the collection because she never got nerfed, and like there wasn't duplicate so protection at this not. point. No, so. <laughs> don't say. <laughs> yeah. It's so, so sad. And I was thinking about this when I we were first doing notes and talking about this and laughing about the fact that this card was so disappointed, even with evolve or devolve effects, you were disappointed to see this card on your board. Oh, yeah. Because it's an aura effect. Like, it's it's horrible. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is there was a brief, uh, like, you can make the argument that Jandis Barov wasn't worth running in Odd Rogue at 5 mana because you might pull this card sometimes. Um, I think you usually ended up playing it anyways, but not always. But whenever this came out of Jandis, it was, you you lost the game instantly on the spot. Um, but the pool is diluted enough to not do that, and then they nerfed Jandis, so it didn't matter. Yeah, that... Yeah. It's so bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh... Next up, the Skull of Gul'dan Award for the best card in the set. There are two nominees. It's Gen and Baku. I mean, come on. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, and 
Go ahead, Stephen. Well, just the the follow up. If we want to go with things that played into that, I mean, a little shout out to Merc Spark Eel. That was just a super solid card. If you had your your uh, Gen deck set up, being able to play that and do damage, it was just such a great tempo play, and that's one that stands out to me. Of course, it was also in the deck that I hit Legend with for the first time. So, or no, second time. Um, so yeah, but. Really, Gen and Baku, they, they were the cards that made this set worth playing. Yep. And and there were like there were powerful cards that existed in the post Gen and Baku world yeah. that you could absolutely point at to be really powerful. Merkspark Yield, uh well no that rotated Shutterwalk, Town Crier, uh, I think were both really, really powerful cards that consistently saw play yeah. through their time in standard. I think one of those two would easily get the nod in a post Genenbacher world, but that that isn't accurate to the reality of the set, is that this was an odd and even set, and they had to cut a chunk out of it to make standard tolerable. So the last question in the show notes, what card won the set? No, not what card. What players won the set? All of us when they rotated these cards to wild early. And when I say all of us, I mean all of us except wild players. Sorry, wild players. Um, but it's the best part of this set was when the best cards from it got removed from it. I could not have said it better. Yeah, that's that's fair. I mean, I I cut out Mad Hatter just because of how happy it made Hat when he saw that card unveiled and he got super excited. Like not because that, he thought I it was like, good. To I be still clear. like seeing it. <laughs> I I, I, I yeah, no no. I like it. I like it when my friends are happy. Yeah. And I remember yes. you being and all of our friends happy. were happy. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, and all of our friends were happy in April of the following year when the best legendaries from this set got kicked out and we got our dust back. Yeah. Yeah. So the one final thing to do is rate the set. What do you say, ADAF? (laughs) (laughs) Is there a score lower than F? No. (laughs) Because... My understanding is that F implies that I want to pay respects, and I would not. I do not want to do that. <laughs> That's a different thing. <laughs> You're paying respects to us. Okay. Well, I will pay respects to you for spending two hours of your time reminiscing over Witchwood. But yes, in my opinion, this is the worst set in Hearthstone history for the game. Not the worst set in terms of average card quality, but when the best thing that this set does needs to be removed for the set for for the game to continue to survive the mistakes that have been made are so grave that it cannot be viewed as anything other than a dramatic unforced error i'm i'm a bit more positive than you i'm going to give it a d minus <laughs> all Mainly right because there are like five cards in here i think are actually kind of cool designs and also rush was decent and I, I'm going to be the most positive out of all of you. I'm going to give it a solid D just because so looking, still at, <laughs> looking at individual yeah. card quality, there were things that were really good. There were things that got better and helped decks do things. Lord Godfrey was amazing removal. It wasn't ama- an amazing set for Warlock, but that was a really good legendary that still occasionally sees play, but definitely saw play for a while. I mean, Shutterwalk was, was a copy of Defile. I don't know. I, I can't give a third copy of a card that much credit. <laughs> um, yes. 
Tess Greymane being something that was unique that created a fun deck for people to play that were not on the spike spectrum. Yeah. Um, there were enough, there was enough out there that I look back at this time, I look at these cards and, you know, Hellmaster Shaw was an interesting card. Doesn't see play now because it's not strong enough in wild, but giving all your other minions rush, that was cool for board-based strategies. Even now we still see Ferocious Howl played. Um, even though I had the absolute worst possible pre-order legendary. And yes, Gen and Baku were a huge mistake and we're very lucky that they finally woke up and realized they had to do something with them. I, I don't think it's a complete failure. I think that they tried very, very hard and they just didn't get there. Yeah, I like I I honestly wonder what we would be thinking about this set if someone from Final Design had looked again in Baku and said, What if something goes wrong and we have to nerf these? And when they didn't get an answer said, Okay, so we can't put them in the set. <laughs> like I thought they had something going on before they came up with Ganon Baku for some reason. I thought they Maybe had they some. Well, this was the era when when Broad was phasing out, right? Yeah, Broad left. That's like what was going on behind the scenes in. for Final Design here. He left. Yeah, right after the set came out, he he saw this get over the finish line, and it was it was mostly through initial well before, right? Because they designed pretty far in yeah. advance. Um, they but this set was one where the director just. It, didn't have as much oversight. They designed about a year in advance. I believe the last thing Broad actually had any kind of involvement on was some initial of Rise of Shadows. Huh. So basically the entire okay. last year we had of, of Witchwood, Boomsday, and Rastakhan were all basically under his direction with the exception of kind of maybe final design on Rastakhan's and Boomsday. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how far in advance they worked back then or what was going on with these particular sets. This was when Dean started to take over as lead designer. Um, it's... Uh, this this set marked the era of the rudderless year. Yeah. Uh, but you're right that they work pretty far in advance. But the tuning process is definitely closer to set release. And I believe, rather famously, Broad said that he found out about the existence of Shutterwalk Combo like a month before the set came out and said, we can't ship this, and they did anyway? No, it was it was like a week before. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But he, uh, let me find. But that says a lot, though, that if the game director is like, we can't ship this, and the team's like, tough, we're doing it anyway. That, that speaks that there may have been a gap in leadership that was existing before that happened anyway, because they knew he had a foot out the door. I think it was, so it was like, after full previews were out, when um, uh, oh, Toast had designed the infinite combo and like played it in an early access event or something like that. And it was like, and Broad was like, oh no, we can't like allow this to exist on ladder like this. And they're like, I mean, the patches in quiet, we can't do anything, which like they couldn't, there was nothing they could do at that point. 
Yep. The exact quote is uh, is that, you know, he's watching it on a Friday, which I believe is right before the release. He said, Brode tried to put a stop to the madness, telling his colleagues, guys, whatever card you made that enables this, you just change it right now. He said, no can do. All these cards are going into the Witchwood. So it would have been after the patch was finalized. And, uh, and he said, I was like, no, what have we done? So um, I'm a little worried about that one. It's like... And this was before data-only patching, uh, which he talked about immediately after so that they could do patching without client downloads. But he was scared of this, but also hadn't hadn't seen this before the set was already finalized. So I don't know the role of a game director here already, and I assume that he was already planning on phasing himself out, but considering the timing here. Um, it showed in every set in this year. Yeah. And and let's talk about that. He was concerned about this thing that was a very visible, thanks to Disguise Toast, combo that was miserable and the animations were miserable but completely missed the boat on Gen and Baku. I mean, so the thing was like, you know, that was a you know, day zero, look at this fun thing video, not a, you know, day zero, I think these are busted thing. And like, I'm going to be honest here, I was pretty early on thinking Gen and Baku were a mistake and a bad idea, and that I, I still it took me two or three months to get there. Like, Kibler made a video about how I think maybe these are a problem like a month or two, like I think a month and a half, two months into Boomsday. So like halfway through their life at Standard. Like, we didn't realize the problem for a while with again in Baku. Yeah, I was having fun with Boomsday at first and uh and Warrior didn't really exist until the Boomsday set came out. Like there were some half finished Warrior decks in Witchwood, but it was tough time for Warrior players and then uh well, Boomsday fixed that. Yep. And I had a really great time with uh with Odd Warrior uh the first monthish or so. And then it was all the previous decks when we were hero powering. And then halfway through Boomsday, it was like, all right, I'm done now. We'll just wait for the next set. And uh, that was not the solution that we were hoping it would be. So there you have it. Uh, the best thing about the Witchwood was when they ripped the guts out of the Witchwood. There's your spooky story. <laughs> Hooray! Hat. As usual, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to have you join us. Um, go ahead, tell the people where they can find you if they don't already know. They probably do, given the nature of this show. But for anyone that hasn't interacted with my content before, uh, lucky you. You can find me on twitter.com slash ridiculous hat and any Hearthstone Discord that you're currently in. If you're awake at between 2 and 3 Eastern time and you like this content, go to whatever Discord Schwal and I are talking and you'll get a recreation of it. Um, hey, my sleep schedule and, has been uh, I do for like three six months now. <laughs> it's good for you. Mine has not been. Um, and I have three Hearthstone podcasts. Uh, Coinconceit.com, uh, we made the best out of the game, more accessible to you. Vicious Syndicate, where uh, well, you heard about it on here last week, uh, that we take a data-driven look at the standard metagame. And then uh, The Angry Chicken, which is, it's The Angry Chicken. So I've been added as a permanent host of that show this year, and it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, and he he's not joking about tagging him on any sort. I just had to look. 
and I'm in a lot of Discord servers. I, I am no by no means a collector of Discord servers, but I clicked on Ridiculous Hat in Discord and I clicked on Mutual Servers and we are in no fewer than 12 servers together. <laughs> so that's pretty good. Yeah, not not I'm bad. All, all of him, the usual just, suspects. You know, we're, it's just we're usually two of the top three chatters in any given one of them. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So um, if Hat's willing to do it, I'm sure we will do this again. We will decide to revisit some other set. Maybe we will eventually get around to talking about the worst set ever being Rastakhan's Rumble. Or maybe we'll actually talk about something that was really, really good, like Kobolds and Catacombs. Or maybe we'll go all the way yeah. back and talk about Goblins versus Gnomes. Or Grand I wasn't playing during that set, so I'd love to hear it. Neither was I. Uh, TGT we can do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, but there's a lot of Hearthstone history to explore. I think there are some metas that we were all very involved in. That'd be fun to to go back and take a look at. But this uh, trip down memory lane has been very fun, gentlemen, especially for the the big set metas, the rotation metas. Those are definitely good ones to explore. Yeah. yeah. So maybe we look at a at a at Rise of Shadows. Maybe Rise of Shadows. Maybe an Ashes of Outland. No, Ash is too recent. We could go back. We could go back to Whispers. Maybe a Whispers. 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 Whispers like could idea. be good. Or hmm. or do or do all the do all the mini sets, all the all the adventures, like One yeah. Night and Black Rock and Nax. All sorts of things. But yes, we will definitely have hat back. We might be able to do a mini, to mini set in under two hours. That <laughs> there's something to that idea. <laughs> eh, maybe. Depends on the mini set. Yeah. Dark Moon Races, I don't think so. Whaling Caverns, yes. So, but that brings us back up to modern day. And that means again, Hat says that he very much enjoyed playing Mercenaries and recommends that everyone go try it for themselves when it releases on Tuesday. Now you, you are, you are under not NDA, but you are, you are NDA currently unable to embargo. You were embargoed. You are unable to speak in detail or, or give up anything about what is there. Um, so this embargo actually ends on release day. That is correct. Yep. Okay. So we. I can't speak to their intentions, but I would guess it's to uh, it's to help build up uh, day one coverage content. Okay. And as far as you know, and as far as we know, we're not going to hear anything more from the team prior to release. I mean, that's in. Two I days. don't have any information on what they're going to do. That was. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. I don't know. It's not that far. No, just just a couple days. I'm sure you'll have a Mercenaries episode next week. But uh, I think the best thing to do for anyone that's anticipating that, be online the night of the 12th, not the day of the 12th. Give that patch some time to simmer. But I think the night of the 12th will be a good time to try it out. I don't know what the patch timing is, by the way. I just speak from experience. I plan my release streams on 10 p.m. on patch day every day, or every every expansion. Because there's always server troubles right at launch, and I don't think this will be any different. Yeah, I mean, this seems like it's adding a lot of content. It's changing how different systems work. So there could be bugs, but there will be bugs. <laughs> yeah, there will be bugs. I uh, <laughs> I don't think there's a way to avoid bugs at all. But yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm I'm glad that you have enjoyed whatever it is that you have seen and are 
going to be able to talk about in a few days. And uh, I'm, I'm glad to know that it has been announced that there will be more bundles. So we will have an opportunity to jump into the deep end of the pool and join the rest of the whales. Should this be a game mode that we really like, uh, but with- yep. But don't feel obligated to buy anything now. You really, really don't have to if you don't want to. And if you already feel excited about the mode, then I think an investment would be reasonable. But don't feel need to break the bank for it. And if you're not sure, you can just hold off. One guess is to what and, I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, why, why, wise words from the ridiculous hat. So uh, again, hey, everyone, thanks for hanging out. Uh, hopefully this bridges the gap until that release. We hope that you have a great week and we will see you next time. Goodbye. See ya. Bye. Wow, well played.